Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I'm here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Monday Night Raw, NXT, AEW Dynamite, Impact Wrestling, Friday Night Smackdown, and also AEW Rampage. To start off the show, let's go over the Raw Highlights of the Week. For Monday Night Raw, it opened up with a Raw Women's Championship match between Becky Lynch going against Bianca Belair. And I tweeted out either it was going to be a screwy finish or we were going to crown a new champion. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It was a screwy finish, at least in my book, because Becky Lynch did win the match. And it was a straight, solid, good match between Becky and Bianca. But this is how it ended. When Bianca had Becky on her shoulders in the position for the KOD, uh, Becky hold on to the ropes and then she grabbed the top turnbuckle covering pad and threw it into the middle of the ring. Once she did this, Becky was then able to get off of Bianca's shoulders and throw Bianca into the steel turnbuckle, roll up Bianca, and then held her tights for the win. I call that a screwy finish. People might say, Joe, that's just a regular finish if you're a bad guy. Uh, For these two ladies, I understand we're trying to find out and give every other excuse for Becky to hold on to the championship, but I mean, they could have went much more creative, but... uh, a win's a win, so Becky Lynch is still your Raw Women's Champion. After this, we get a Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio at Gorilla position, and it's time for Rey's interview. Rey's interviewed for his match against Austin Theory that's about to happen. Rey says that Austin has talent, but finds him arrogant and disrespectful. Austin then shouts out Mysterio from the background and walks up to Rey. Austin talks about how he finds it disappointing that he couldn't get a photo with Rey last week, but Austin isn't worried because he plans on getting the photo after he wins the match against Mysterio. Dominic then walks up to Theory and tells him that he needs to pay his father some respect. Ray tells his son it's okay. He's seen people like Austin before try to make a name off the Mysterios. But as everyone else before that tried it, they will all fade away as the Mysterio name will still be here growing in legacy. Now it's time for the Austin Theory match going against Ray Mysterio with Dominic in his corner. Austin Theory wins the match by disqualification when Ray had Theory in position for the 619 and Dominic hits Theory in the face. And he does this because earlier in the match, Theory drop kicked him because earlier in the match, Dominic uh, pushed Theory, well, pushed Ray into a way so Ray can hit a DDT on Theory on the outside of the ring. So it was a receipt on top of receipt on top of another receipt between Dominic and Theory, but Theory ends up getting the last laugh because the referee throws the match out after he sees Dominic hit Theory in the face, and that's what happened. Theory wins the match by disqualification. After this, now it's time for Seth Rollins' in-ring promo. Seth Rollins comes out to gloat about winning the ladder match last week, making him the number one contender for the WWE Champion. He talks about how this contract guarantees him that he's going to be WWE champion. Then out comes the WWE champion himself, Big E. Big E mentions how last week he came out to shake Seth Rollins' hands after he won the match, but Seth laughed in his face. Seth had a curious look on his face, and he had to remind Big E that that's not how that happened. Seth mentions how E told Seth last week that he had to earn a match for the championship and how after the match... E was the one who didn't want to shake Seth's hands. 
Seth then tries to upset Big E by saying how E has been an all right champion. He, I mean, he's had a win against Bobby Lashley and he even got an all right win against Drew McIntyre, but he isn't on Seth Rollins' level. Seth then mentions how when he beats Big E for the WWE Championship, E can go back to being a joke with his friends, The New Day. Seth then calls King Woods a joke and calls Kofi Mania a joke. He's now starting to get upset visibly, and he tells Rollins that he needs to respect the king and that he's not going to let Seth disrespect one of the biggest moments in WWE history, Kofi Mania. He then challenges Seth to a match tonight for the WWE Championship. Seth mentions how he's not 100% from last week's ladder match and then the week before that, the Hell in a Cell match that he had against Edge, and that whenever they have their championship match, it will be on Seth's terms, and he will be at 100%. Out comes Kevin Owens, and Seth tells Kevin Owens that he has no right to be out here. KO mentions how he was in the back, and he heard these two talking about who is the face of Raw. KO mentions how he's heard Bianca Belair say she's going to be the face of Raw. How Becky Lynch is talking about being the face of Raw. But somehow, everybody's forgotten about one face, and that happens to be his face. Ultimately, Kevin Owens then challenges Biggie to a match. For the first time ever, a one-on-one -on -one match between these two, and he accepts. So in the main event of Monday Night Raw, we will be getting Big E going against Kevin Owens. After this, they play a video of Selena Vega, well, Queen Selena, and Carmella walking backstage. And then they walk up to the women's tag team champions, Rhea Ripley and Nikki A.S.H. Selena asks Nikki who did her mask, and Nikki mentions how she made up her own mask so people can be whoever they want to be. Only thing they got to do is just believe in themselves. Selena and Carmella find that cute, and then they walk away. And as they're walking away, they talk about how that mask is so ugly. And Rhea Ripley and Nikki hears this, and they walk up behind them, and they turn them around tell them that they heard that. And then they have some spitter spatter between the four women, and ultimately, they end up challenging Queen Selena and Carmella to a match, and they accept. So now it's time for that tag team match. Queen Selena and Carmella going against the women's tag team champions, Rhea Ripley and Nikki A.S.H. Queen Selena and Carmella win the match by pinfall when Rhea was taken outside of the ring by Carmella and Carmella throws Rhea Ripley against the barricade. Selena is now in the ring with Nikki A.S.H. and she grabs her by the waist and is looking for a move, but Nikki runs towards the ropes and grabs the ropes. And so Selena rolls off of Nikki and... When this happens, Nikki's still holding onto the ropes, and Carmella runs towards Nikki to try to hit her, but Nikki misses. Well, she ducks, and Carmella misses. So now Nikki grabs Carmella's mask, and Carmella's screaming and everything, and the referee's trying to get in between Nikki and Carmella. This distraction allows Selena to come behind Nikki and hit her with code red for the win. So I can tell you right now, we're going to get a women's tag team championship match between Queen Selena and Carmella going against Rhea Ripley and Nate, Nikki A.S.H. And I have no problem with this down the line that we're going to get this match because the tag team championships for the women have been dead in the water. I mean, a lot of tag teams have been split. You have um, the Riot Squad, who basically every member except Liv Morgan basically got fired. Um, Nick, uh, Natalia and Tamina, they got split. They're on separate brands. Natalia's on SmackDown. Tamina's on Raw. You have, um, Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox. They're split and they're on separate rosters now. 
I mean, I am probably missing another tag team, but that tells you how dry and dead this NXT, not even NXT, but the WWE main roster women tag team division is dead in the ground. I hope they fix that somehow, some way. I really do, because you know what? The women deserve a lot of opportunities, and it's not fair that you debuted this championship, what, two years ago? Like, at Elimination Chamber, and then now, two years later, it's like dead in the water. It's like completely dead. So I hope they WWE fixes that some way, somehow. I mean, they could fix it by just basically getting rid of it and basically have your uh, WWE Raw, not WWE Raw, but the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships fuse with the NXT Tag Team Championships so you have women from both NXT and the WWE both vying for those tag team titles like it was supposed to be two years ago. But somehow they fumbled the bag. I'm hoping that's what they do because I say it again. The women deserve a lot of time, especially with this three hours that Raw got. It's not that hard to cover with more matches. That's just my advice to it. Now we go backstage and Biggie's getting himself ready for his match later with Kevin Owens. And the Alpha Academy walks up on walks up on Biggie. Chad Gable asks Biggie, does he want to be a part of the Academy? Because he wants to turn Biggie from this fun-loving, jokey guy into a destruction machine like Otis here. E says that he doesn't want to be a walking thumb like Otis and rejects the offer. Chad tells E that he can help E become a dominant machine. And he tells E that he needs to watch what he does to Finn Balor in the ring next. So now we have Finn Balor going against Chad Gable with Otis at his side. This was a straight, uh, great one-on-one match between Finn and Chad Gable. Let me just say that. And um, Finn wins the match by pinfall. Finn was going for the coup de gras, But Gable runs up the turnbuckle, grabs Finn in a position for a superplex, hit the superplex, and whenever the super, they're on the ground and both of their legs are in the air, Finn is able to capture Gable's legs with his legs and like lock him in for a pin, and the referee counts it, and that's how Finn wins the match. Again, this was a straight, solid one-on-one match between these two. I hope that they somehow build a program in between, like Chad Gable getting some type of championship win later, because Chad Gable is a great professional wrestler, and he needs to have that like opportunity to actually show everybody, hey, I'm that good. Give me the ball, and I can show you what I can do. But if not, I know that independent wrestling out here is willing to do something. I don't know how long his contract is up or when his contract is up. If so happens, if they don't happen to do nothing with him, he could be on the independence, show everybody what he can do. And then more than likely, probably Impact or AEW, more or less AEW, because they're the biggest, besides WWE, like billionaire, like owning the company that he could decide anybody that he wants. And then Chad Gable will be a welcomed addition onto the AEW roster. Anyway, after this, we get a backstage uh, statement with Riddle. He's on his scooter, and he's just riding around backstage area, and then he's met by the Dirty Dogs themselves, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. Dolph and Roode tell Riddle that they've been looking for him all night. Dolph mentions to him about how him and Roode uh, have a match against the Street Profits, and they know that RK Bro will be on commentary, and they want Riddle and Orton to watch what they do to the Profits because once they are done with them, they want to have another match with RK Bro, but this time they will be fully rested instead of facing them, basically like they did last week, two people in a row. 
well, two matches in a row. So um, that's basically the end of this segment. And now it's time for the match of the Street Profits going against the Dirty Dogs, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. Dolph and Robert Roode win the match by pinfall thanks to Omos. It's basically wash, rinse, and repeat of what they had last week. Um, when the Street Profits had the match won, Omos comes out to the match, well, comes out and gets on the re- entrance ramp and distracts Montez Ford yet again, who's on the top uh, turnbuckle. And this time, Ford jumps down, and when he jumps down off the turnbuckle, Dolph Ziggler hits it with a super kick and cover him for the win. After the match, Dawkins attacks Omos, but Omos happens to throw Dawkins into the barricade. Montez Ford gets up off the floor, or gets up off the mat, and then jumps onto Omos, but Omos catches him and throws him into the barricade. Riddle is on commentary, and he tells the commentary team and Orton that he has to help him out, and he leaves commentary, and you see Orton try to make sure that Riddle doesn't, because Orton's not trying to be a part of this. But Riddle doesn't listen. He runs off commentary team, and he runs towards Omos. He's able to get some hits off of Omos, but Omos is too big and too powerful. He lifts up Riddle and throws him onto the ring apron, and Riddle is just laid out at this moment. At, when this happens, you see the camera turn over to Orton, and Orton is just having a fit. His face is all red. He throws a chair, and he's upset. You even hear him say it that he's upset, and he says it loudly enough dude, that the mic can hear him pick it up and says that, I'm not upset at you, big man. I'm upset at my partner. He's upset that Riddle basically disobeyed him, so now he has to basically do something, and he knows that this whole thing between Omos, AJ, and himself, isn't going to be over until Randy has to put it down. So look for that into the future on Monday Night Raw. Now we got Damian Priest at the gorilla position, and he's getting himself interviewed. He gets asked about snapping last week on T-Bar. Priest mentioned how he how he's always had that side of, of him that can go evil, but he's been keeping that under the wraps. Priest mentioned that he doesn't have a problem with T-Bar until he threw the, that chair in his face last week. So T-Bar will get to meet the Damien inside him next. And what he meant by that is basically he calls his evil side Damien. And it's time for his match between T-Bar. It's Damien Priest going against T-Bar in a no disqualification match, and Damien Priest wins the match by pinfall. When Priest was able to hit a choke slam on T-Bar from the ring apron through a table on the outside of the ring, Priest then grabs T-Bar's body from the outside of the ring, brings him to the inside of the ring, and hits the reckoning uh, for the win. This was a very brutal match between T-Bar and Damian Priest. T-Bar doesn't really get to show out as much as he, as much as he should and as much as he's capable to. Because Before the name change of T-Bar, he was known as Donovan Dijakovic. And before he got signed by WWE, he was known as Donovan Dijak. And this man is a big man that's agile. He's able to do power moves. He's linky, but he has a whole lot of power in him that you just don't think that he can pull off. And he's still able to fly like a cruiserweight. So he's a hybrid big man. And Damian Priest, the same thing. He's Damian Priest got more muscle and mass on him than T-Bar, but you wouldn't expect him to move as fast as he can do the way that he does. These two use kendo sticks, steel chairs, and as you read as you heard from me, a table throughout this match. Even at one point, Damian Priest was like tied up in the ropes and T-Bar grabs his Kindle stick and start whacking Priest in the stomach and you start seeing welts on Priest's stomach. This was a great match to really look back on Monday Night Raw. If you haven't seen it, 
Try to find it any way you can on YouTube or any type of way that you can. This was a great solid match. Anyway, after the match, Apollo and his commander Aziz comes out and Apollo applauds Priest of that match. Well, of the mangling of that match. Apollo introduces himself and Aziz to Damien Priest and mentions how they're going to get acquainted real quick, real soon. Apollo is basically looking at Damien Priest for the United States Championship. There you go. After this, we get a segment of Reggie talking to John Morrison backstage and asking him how's it been to find his inner chi. Morrison tells Reggie he's still on the search for it. Then out of nowhere, R-Truth grabs Reggie from behind and tries to take the 24-7 championship off of him. That doesn't work. And then Akira Tozawa runs towards Reggie. Reggie was able to escape both Truth and Tozawa after he runs up some structures and then runs up some uh, supply boxes. Does a backflip and then walks out of the building. Now you get a backstage segment from Becky Lynch. Becky's backstage and she's getting interviewed about the way she won the match earlier against Bianca Belair. Becky mentions how people are missing the bigger picture and that half of the people out there were booing her and half the people were cheering her. She mentions how Bianca now has to get to the back of the line so some newer faces can get a shot at the championship that Becky's holding. And as soon as she says this, Liv Morgan walks up to her and Becky looks at Liv, Liv looks at Becky, and Becky walks away. So this is letting you know that Liv is next in line for a championship opportunity. I'm going to say this again. I don't know what they're doing with Liv Morgan. They keep on like wanting to do something with her, then they stop. They keep on wanting to do something with her, they stop. It looked like she was going to win, or she was supposed to win the crown, uh, Queen Crown Tournament, but they killed that and they went with Selena Vega. I have no problem with that. I'm cool with that. The time before that, she had a good run uh, um, up to Money in the Bank. It looked like she was destined to win that. Killed that. They went with Nikki A.S.H. Cool with that. So now they're giving Liv another shot to see what they can do with her. Yo, what are we going to do here? Give Liv the ball and let her run. Let's see what she can do. Give her that opportunity. Give her this time to shine. Especially, by the way, Survivor Series is still coming up. They still haven't did the whole, we got to acquire the men's team, the women's team yet. So I'm hoping that we're going to build to Liv Morgan probably being the team captain of Raw or if anything, um, be on the women's side of the Survivor Series teams between Raw and SmackDown and her being like the lone survivor for Raw and being like two, beating up two of the dominant members of the women's team for SmackDown to win the match. That's the only way I can see them really like elevating Liv Morgan up more on her way to facing Becky and even probably even beating Becky for the Raw Women's Championship. Maybe. Anyway, after this, we get a Kevin Owens backstage segment. You see Kevin Owens wrapping up his hands and as he's about to go and face Big E and Seth Rollins walks up to him. Seth has a proposition for Kevin Owens. And Seth tells Kevin Owens that he knows that they don't like each other, but that doesn't mean they can't do business. Seth tells Kevin Owens that he'll be out there to help him win the match tonight against Big E. And whenever Seth faces Big E for the WWE Championship, Kevin Owens can be out there and kind of scratch his back if he gets the drift. Kevin Owens tells Seth that he can be out there all he wants tonight, but he better not interfere in his match with Big E. Because if he does, he's not going to like the way Kevin Owens does business. And that's it. So now you got Kevin Owens walking out to the ring for his match against Big E, and now it's time for the main event. WWE Champion Big E going against Kevin Owens. 
Big E wins the match by pinfall. This happens when Big E had Kevin Owens set up for the big ending, but Kevin Owens was able to slip out of it and push Big E into the turnbuckles. When this happens, Kevin Owens walks behind Big E, and their heads clash between each other. So now you got Kevin Owens in the middle of the ring holding his head, and the referee's looking at Kevin Owens to make sure he's all right. And you got Big E in the second ropes, and he's hanging his head out, and he's just trying to catch some air. Seth Rollins is outside the ring, and he's been watching this match this whole time. He walks up to Big E, and he punches him in the face, and Big E just falls back. Kevin Owens looks like he saw it, but he's having his dilemma. So this makes us know that Kevin Owens saw Seth Rollins hit Big E. Seth walks up the ramp. He has a cheerful look on his face. Kevin Owens is trying to have this whole deal. He's fighting his inner demons to rather pin Big E or not pin Big E. He has this fight, and he ultimately goes with pinning Big E. He goes over, pins Big E, but that doesn't. Uh, turn out well, because as soon as he pins Big E, Big E's able to counter out of it and pin Kevin Owens for the win himself. So that's how Big E ends up winning the match. It was a solid match between Big E and Kevin Owens. This was match was basically just to push the storyline and the feud between Seth Rollins and Big E. And it continues after the match because Big E sees the replay on the big screen of what happened Kevin Owens gets on the mic and tells E that he didn't see what Rollins did to him. He is now trying to tell, like, convince Big E that he didn't see that. And Kevin Owens then looks at Seth and calls him an SOB, and he challenges Seth to a match next week on Raw. And Seth is looking confused on his face, like, yo, I didn't tell you to do cover him or nothing. You did that all on your own. And now you got Kevin Owens still trying to convince Big E that he didn't know... Uh, Seth did that because he was halfway knocked out himself after those both of their heads collided. Kevin Owens is still continuously trying to tell Big E that he didn't know what he was doing. And he even puts his hand on Big E's shoulder. When Big E feels Kevin Owens' hand on his shoulder, he turns over and looks at Kevin Owens. He quickly pulls him up for the big ending and hits Kevin Owens with the big ending. So Big E doesn't trust Kevin Owens right now. He doesn't trust what Kevin Owens said because he saw the proof right there. And after he does this, he grabs the WWE Championship. He looks at Seth, and he just starts mouthing off to Seth. And what I basically can grasp from that mouthing off is that he's telling Seth that, yo, you can try this. My game's all you want. This WWE Championship is going to stay around my waist. It's not going anywhere. Raw ends with Big E just holding the WWE Championship, just mouthing off to Seth. Again, I have no problem with this storyline, but I'm telling you right now, I can see them trying to give Seth the win, but that's not going to happen. I can tell you the perfect scenario right now was basically going to happen. Seth and Biggie are going to have their match, right? And Seth is going to come so close to beating Biggie. And I mean, really so close, like about to hit a stomp on Biggie. But as soon as he hits the stomp, Edge is going to run in and hit him with a spear. Now, why do I say Edge? If you go back to Money in the Bank earlier in this year, where Roman Reigns was going against Edge. Edge had the match won. And out from nowhere, Seth Rollins comes behind him and super kicks Edge right in the back of the head. Remember that? I see them continuing along that storyline of Seth Rollins and Edge. These two guys that just want to do battle with each other. Even though Edge did win the Hell in a Cell match at Crown Jewel, we still haven't seen him. And that's only been, what, two weeks now? Trust me, whenever Seth gets his match with Biggie. 
Edge is going to be there to screw Rollins just for retaliation for Rollins screwing Edge when he ran against Roman Reigns. I guarantee you that. Anyway, that was your Raw Highlights of the Week. Now it's time for the NXT Highlights of the Week. NXT opens up with uh, Mandy Rose cutting an in-ring promo. She's out here to gloat about being your new NXT Women's Champion. She's out here by herself, and she shows the reason why she's out here by herself. And video plays of J.C. Jane and Gigi Dolan attacking Zoe Starks in the backstage area. Mandy says that nobody can stop a toxic attraction and then decides to make the challenge for anybody to come out and try. Io Shirai comes out and challenges Mandy to a match right now. Mandy lets Io know that this is Mandy's world now, and she calls out a ref to come out and uh, start this match. But as soon as she does this, Mandy attacks Io with the microphone and starts beating her up. And I ain't gonna front. Mandy was getting a good couple hits off on Io Shirai. I mean, it gets to the point that Mandy even throws Io out of the ring, throws her onto the barricade, uh, bounces her head off the commentary table. And I mean, Mandy is really beating down on Io Shirai. Mandy then throws Io back into the ring Gets them back on the mic and tells Io, this isn't the old NXT where you were top dog. This is NXT 2.0. And this is now mine. Io then attacks Mandy and now Io's on beating up Mandy Rose. And now Io then decides to go to the top rope to try to look for a moonsault to hit on Mandy Rose. But out comes JC and Gigi Dolan. They're attacking Io Shirai now. And now you got all three members of Toxic Attraction beating up on Io Shirai. Then out of nowhere, Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter come out and they start helping Io uh, Shirai beat down on Toxic Attraction. They do this enough until Toxic Attraction leaves out of the ring and walks backstage. Once Toxic Attraction goes backstage and they s- start walking, they see Dakota Kai standing right there. Mandy Rose taps Dakota on the shoulder. Dakota turns around and now you got Dakota looking at all members of Toxic Attraction. Dakota lets Mandy know that what she did last week wasn't for her. She wanted to end Raquel Gonzalez. And then Dakota walks away, and now she's walking towards the ring. A video plays of Duke Hudson's poker room, and now you have Duke Hudson playing with a bunch of scrubs, and then you have Cameron Grimes walk in, and now he wants in on the game. Duke tells Grimes that, yo, you need to hand me the rest of your money now so you won't be embarrassed later whenever I take it all from you. Grimes tell him, no, I, st- I want to play. And Duke lets Grimes play. So now we're going to get later, constantly throughout the night, we're going to get vignettes of Duke Hudson and Cameron Grimes just constantly playing Texas Hold'em backstage, back and forth. I'm going to summarize it for you right now. Duke Hudson ends up losing towards Cameron Grimes in uh, everything. Duke Hudson takes people's money Constantly throughout the night, but he just can't seem to beat Cameron Grimes. And then it gets down to the last hand between him and Cameron Grimes. Cameron Grimes is constantly calling, checking, and just putting money in. Duke Hudson then decides to say, you know what? We're going to go all in. Cameron Grimes says, we're going to go all in. So they flip over a card, and I don't know Texas Hold'em rules, but Cameron Grimes was able to flip and lay down his uh, pair of two. And he says he got a full house. And now you start seeing Cameron just getting up and laughing. And he just makes the taunt to the moon. And he tells the scrubs that he went against 
earlier in the night in the poker game that, yo, drinks are on me tonight. When this happens, you see Duke Hudson straight up gets up and he just flips his poker table over and he's just upset. He's furious that he lost to a guy like Cameron Grimes. So more than less, we're going to get Grimes going against Duke Hudson somewhere down uh, probably next week on NXT if they really want to go with this. After this, uh, we get Dakota Kai going against uh, Cora Jade. Cora Jade's undefeated until she meets Dakota Kai, and Dakota Kai puts a stop to that undefeated streak. Dakota wins the match by pinfall whenever she uh, hits Cora Jade with uh, the Haluva kick, and they cover her for the win. After the match, Dakota drags Cora Jade outside of the ring by her hair, and Dakota continues to drag Cora J to the side of the ring where the entrance uh, ramp is. She pull, uh, puts Dakota down on the floor. She puts a table over Cora Jade's face. And Dakota gets on the ring apron. And it looks like she's about to jump off and probably even break the table. But she doesn't do this. She gets down and she grabs Cora J's skateboard and place it on Cora's stomach, and walks away. I don't know where they're going to go with this uh, thing with Dakota Kai and uh, Cora Jade, or even if with Raquel Gonzalez. I don't know what they're planning, but I'm here for it, because Dakota Kai is a person that should get some respect, because she's been able to hold her own in this, well, in the NXT Women's Division when it was stacked. And now that it's kind of dwindling off and you get new characters here and there for the women's division, Dakota Kai is like the legit, like, legacy piece besides, like, Ember Moon that could actually, like, wrestle wrestle on uh, their division. So, the well, that's not a part of the women's tag team division. Let me uh, correct that. So I'm cool with Dakota Kai being here. And that also leaves me, where's Ember Moon at? Ember Moon hasn't been on NXT television for... A, a good couple weeks. She might have to revamp herself. That's probably what she's doing. But I'm just wondering where Ember Moon is. That's just me. Something that came out of my own head. Anyway, video plays of MSK at a street sign. They're sitting there. And they're talking about how they lost their NXT Tag Team Championships last week. And they're talking about how they got to find their way. They were supposed to uh, meet up with a guy that created the whole MSK name. They go through this whole diatribe where... Wesley talks to Nash and asks him about uh, the story about how this guy came up with MSK. Nash is about to tell Wes the story, and we're about to all find out what MSK means. And then a bus rolls up, and you don't see Wes and Nash anymore. And then as the bus drives off, you see Nash say, and that's how the guy came up with MSK. And Wes is so happy, so... We still don't know what MSK is. We don't know who this guy is. And they come to the conclusion that that was their bus they were supposed to get on. So now they got to walk to meet this guy now. So now MSK is walking. Um, after this, now it's time for Zion Quinn and Robert Stone uh, to get into the ring. Robert Stone tells Zion that before he beats him up, he's going to out-sing him first. And then he's going to stomp him out in the ring. Robert tells the production man to play some music, and Robert Stone is now rapping to to uh, Frankie Monet's entrance theme. And ladies and gentlemen, it was atrocious. It was a complete monstrosity. I understand we're trying to be funny with the whole Robert Stone guy, but by God, that was a complete 
monstrosity. I'm not even saying it in a good way. Because certain things are completely, like, stupid and bad in a good way. This wasn't bad in a good way. This was trash. Just completely trash. After Robert Stone gets done singing, uh, he calls Zion Quint a chicken for not wanting to sing. Because Zion Quint tells Robert Stone, hey, I was just coming out here to kick your butt. I'm not here for all this. Robert Stone keeps on mocking him, calling him a chicken. Zion Quinn says, screw it. Play the music. And he tells the production person to play music. And whose music do they play? They play Shawn Michaels' entrance theme music. Zion Quinn is singing on to the Sexy Boy theme song. And at times towards the performance, Robert Stone is trying to mess with Zion Quinn. But Zion was able to counter that. He even hits a dip on Robert Stone and drops him on the Matt. Robert Stone even tries to run towards Zion Quinn, but Zion Quinn drops the microphone and lifts Robert up like uh, Patrick Swayze did in Dirty Dancing towards uh, to the actress in Dirty Dancing. Once Zion Quinn puts Robert Stone down, Robert slaps Zion across the face. Zion tells the referee outside the ring to ring the bell, and the rap match begins. And it's quick work Zion beats Robert Stone by pinfall. Zion was able to hit the jackhammer on Robert to win the match. I mean, he did some other moves, but I mean, this was a quick wash, to be honest with you. After this, a video plays of Joe Gacy talking about how people are becoming trash human beings. He even mentions how the internet at the beginning were for people to spread ideas and have conversations with one another. Now is where people just say cruel things towards each other every day. He then talks about how people lay labels onto other people. And he talks about how the NXT universe labels someone like Harland a monster because he has tattoos and a bald head. But Gracie says, as he concludes this, he says that he is here to change all that. And with Harland by his side, he's here to make NXT a safer place. So Joe Gacy and Harland are now a unit and I just can't wait to see what this Harlan guy does. I know Joe Gacy ha is a great independent professional wrestler. He has some uh, credit behind his name. But Harlan, I have no, like, like real, real news about him. Besides the idea that people wanted to have him, like, be the next upcoming Brock Lesnar. He was always, like, touted with this whenever he got signed. I don't know how true that is. Only time will tell. I can't wait to see. And right now, it's been reported, technically, or uh, alleged that he's dealing with some type of injury. That's the reason why we haven't seen him in the ring and do like some type of physical uh, stuff yet. But when he's all healed up, and if that is true, that'll be great to see what type of monstrous uh, feat of strength this guy can pull off. Now it's time for in-ring competition again. Now it's time for tag team action. It's Legato Del Fantasma with Electra Lopez and her in their corner going against Von Wagner and Kyle O'Reilly. Legato Del Fantasma wins the match by pinfall when Wagner and O'Reilly had the match won, but Kyle O'Reilly talks to Von Wagner, and he wants to set up a tag team move, and once Wagner runs towards the ropes, Kyle O'Reilly is standing behind Joaquin Wilde, and Raul Mendoza jumps off the uh, ropes and hits O'Reilly with a dropkick. Von Wagner tries to hit Joaquin with a big boot, but Joaquin ducks underneath it, and scoops up Von Wagner for a schoolboy pin, and that's basically it. And also, he grabs the bottom... Well, Von Wagner's legs were on the bottom rope, but the referee didn't see it, and the referee still counted, and that's how Legato still won. 
And it was talked about later in the night how Von Wagner and Kyle Riley were upset because the referee didn't see it. So I don't know if we're going to run that match back next week on NXT or whatever the case may be. But Legato wins the match by pinfall. After this, we go backstage and now it's time for Trick Williams and the NXT North American champion, the A champion, Carmelo Hayes, for their little backstage uh, interview. Carmelo mentioned how tonight Johnny Gargano and Dexter Loomis are in his house tonight. They're not at their stupid haunted house. He mentions how when him and Trick shoot their shot, they don't miss. Andre Chase then walks up to them and informs them that since Andre, uh, they had Andre's back last week at the haunted house, he will be in their corner tonight and having their back. As he's saying all these things, Carmelo and Trick can't believe they're seeing Andre standing before them because last week he got took last week and they don't remember seeing him after that. When uh, Andre Chase was done talking, Carmelo and Trick just start walking away from him. The interviewer then turns her attention onto Andre Andre Chase and let him know that people were calling him a coward last week after he got started running away at the haunted house. Andre's upset by this and he says that he's going to go out to the ring and give somebody a butt kicking. So that's exactly what Andre does. He goes out to the ring, he gets on the mic, and he talks about how people backstage have been calling him a coward. So he decides to issue an open challenge to anybody that think they can beat him. And by God, does one person come out there and it's the man that everybody wants to see. Braun Breaker, a.k.a. Steiner Jr. He comes out and now we have Braun Breaker going against Andre Chase. You know the ending result of this. Braun Breaker wins the match by pinfall. Braun gets Andre Chase up in a press slam, but turns it into a power slam. And that's in, that's the end for that. I mean, this was a quick, steady match. We all know what the end result was going to be when Braun came out. This was not a this was a no-thinker one for you. After the match, Braun gets on the microphone and congratulates Tommaso for beating him last week. Braun mentions ha- that. Tommaso took advantage of Braun's inexperience, and he even calls Tommaso the man for uh, taking advantage of that. But Braun mentions how he hates losing and how he will get another shot at the NXT Championship and win it, or he will die trying. This man sounds like his uncle Scott Steiner. I'm going to constantly say that until people understand. Braun Breaker sounds like his uncle Scott Steiner. Yes, he wears the uh, colorful singlet like his father and his uncle did whenever they were in the WWF and even in WCW, but they wore like the colorful, colorful singlet that he's wearing now in the WWF from all the tapes in uh, streaming matches that I've seen of Sky Steiners in WWF. Either way, Braun is a Steiner. I want them to hurry up and use the Steiner name for him. They try to do these, chemi- these uh, cute little names for him and they even acknowledge it by saying he calls himself a genetic freak. That's what Scott Steiner called himself, the genetic freak. Uh, he, they mentioned how he's a dog-faced gremlin. His father, Rick Steiner, his nickname was the dog-faced gremlin. He has the sirens at the beginning of his entrance theme. His uncle, S- Scott Steiner, had his sirens at the beginning of his entrance theme when he was in WWE. I mean, by God, they're kind of rubbing your nose in it without really saying it. Ayo, he's a Steiner. Let him say the Steiner name so you guys can hurry up and build that bridge between Scott Steiner, Rick Steiner, and WWE. Braun Breaker is the perfect person they can bridge that, build a bridge for these two 
people for this entity and his family so they can get on the right accord. That's what I want. Anyway, we go backstage and now we're getting an interview from the new NXT Tag Team Champions Imperium. Imperium are glad to be two-time NXT Tag Team Champions and mention how they're basically built different because they aren't born from America and that they're happy to take the NXT Championships back from MSK because MSK showed uh, disrespect in the ring and how Imperium is always coveting that mat because the mat is sacred to them. JC Jane and Gigi Dolan interrupt the interview to tell Imperium that they are also new champions and informs Imperium that Toxic Attraction will have a six-woman tag team match next week and tells them they should watch it. Toxic Attraction walks away. Marcel Bartel looks at Fabian and mentions how they will be watching the match. And he also tells them how, you know what? America does have its perks. And he talks about the ladies. So you could tell that Imperium and Toxic Attraction are going to have some type of going along, whether it be some type of business dealing or they're going to try to like throw in some type of dating situation between Imperium and members of a Toxic Attraction. Whatever the case may be, I'm here for it because it's something new on NXT. After this, we get a backstage segment, and it's their lashing out segment with Lash Legend. The her guest for this week is Tony D'Angelo. As Tony D'Angelo gets into his seat, he gets accused right off the rip by Lash Legend for taking her producer, Mark, because backstory... Mark didn't let Tony D'Angelo get on the Lash Legend uh, Lashing Out segment two weeks ago. So Mark mysteriously went missing and he now just reappeared out of nowhere and Tony D'Angelo happens to be on the show. Tony says, you know what? Mark's here, so why don't we get him on the stage? He tells Mark to come on out. Mark comes out and he's all scared and petrified, his arms in a sling. He sits down next to Tony, and Tony's basically intimidating Mark this whole time. But he says it like with such a smile on his face. He mentions how his family is here, his family's at home watching. He tells Mark to say hello to your wife, say hello to your kids. And he basically tells Mark, Ayo, we got our stuff situated. Tell Lash you're okay. Mark tells Lash that he's okay. Tony tells Mark to get out of here, and Mark does. Tony has that much power. Basically, Sopranos. Tony then mentions how he is so better than other NXT superstars on the roster. And he talks about the, and he starts running down the names that he basically can beat up. He names how he can beat up Pete Dunne, he can beat up John Gargano, he can beat up Dexter Loomis, and he can beat up the NXT champion, Tommaso Ciampa. That was basically the main point of this. We're basically trying to get Tony D'Angelo over more as a character by this segment. When this statement wraps up, it's time for in-ring competition again, and this time it's the in-ring debut of Solo Sequoia going against Jahit Rama. I believe that's how you say the man's name. Anyway, Solo wins the match by pinfall. Solo goes to the top turnbuckle and hits a Samoan splash and covers him for the pinfall. If you don't know who Solo Sequoia is, Solo is the brother of the Usos. Yes, the Usos do have a younger brother. And he's now with NXT. I have no problem with him being it. And I'm and I mean, let me just say this right now. You put the photos of the Usos next to him, you can tell that they're real. You can tell their family. You can tell that they're brothers. It's simple and it's easy. 
I want Solo to be on NXT for a good certain time, and then, all right, pull him up to the main roster. Let's get what we got to do, and let's have him be assigned with the bloodline. Let's not be stupid. Let's not try to act like we don't know what's going on. Get him on the squad with his brothers and with the head of the table. You know what? To be fairly honest with you, people might be saying, yo, that's too quick to be pulling up Solo to the main roster. Listen here. Solo needs to be on that main roster because let me tell you something. I, one bad mess up can easily put <clears throat> one of the Usos in jeopardy. You understand what I'm saying? And you know what I'm talking about here. I'm hoping that Jimmy stays on the right path because we don't, we as a wrestling community, we don't want Jimmy to screw up. He has great talent. He's funny. He's charismatic. He is a delight. And as a matter of fact, a lot of wrestlers in the backstage have, ne- have nothing but positive things to say about Jimmy Uso. So that's the reason why. If you have his younger brother with him on the road with his other brother, Jay Uso, with Roman and with his wife, you have literally his whole close family unit literally with him riding around. There's no way he could screw up. There is no way at all. So that is one of the reasons why I say Solo Sequoia need to be up on the main roster. Second one, he doesn't need to be wasting his time. He has ring experience. He's been wrestling on the independence. Alright? So, get Solo on the main roster. Let him have a couple squash matches here on NXT. Yeah, sure. But throw him up on the main roster. Let's get this thing together. Alright? After this, we have another match. And it's a Boa going against Grayson Waller. And LA Knight's on commentary for this match. Boa wins the match by pinfall. Thanks to a distraction by LA Knight. When uh, Grayson was on the second rope and he's about to jump off and hit Boa with some type of move, Knight walks towards him and this distracts Grayson. This allows Boa to kick the ropes and Waller falls down on the mat. He gets up, Boa hits him with a roundhouse kicks, Boa pins him, there you go. After this, we have Tommaso Ciampa coming down to the ring now. And now it's time for his in-ring promo. Tommaso mentions how at Halloween Havoc, they had a slew of new champions except the NXT champion. Tommaso calls himself the god of NXT. Tommaso mentioned how usually whenever he somebody says that they're the god of something, somebody comes out, and when he says this, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams comes out. They tell Ciampa that it's not about him anymore. Carmelo tells Ciampa that that as long as he's on NXT, Tommaso will take a back seat to Carmelo. Carmelo calls himself the leader of the new school, and this is now his show. Tommaso tells Carmelo that if he feels that way, and he feels froggy, then jump. Carmelo is ready to jump, and he says, all right, we're ready to do this right now. Trick has to stop Melo and tell him that, listen, me and you are on the marquee. Our name's in the main event. That means people came here to Pay to see us. Nobody paid to see Champa. Champa punches Trick in the face and Trick falls directly to the mat. Champa is super pissed right now and Champa just continuously to mouth off at Carmelo Hayes to do something. But Carmelo does nothing. He just stares at him and just like in a frozen like position. It's not like Carmelo doesn't want to punch him. He's just like trying to find the right spot to do it. When Champa leaves the ring, He's standing at the ring entrance and he's just holding his championship and he's staring at Carmelo and Johnny Gargano's music hits. 
you can see the look in Tommaso's face, and he just has a cold look on his face, and he holds on to the NXT Championship much more closely to his chest. And as Johnny Gargano is walking up to Tommaso, him and Tommaso lock eyes. For people that don't know this, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa have been rivals for a good amount of years. This started in, I believe, 2017, when Tommaso Ciampa turned his back on Johnny Gargano after their match against a team called the Authors of Pain in a ladder match for the NXT Tag Team Championships. And in 2018, Tommaso comes back healthy. They have their match. Gargano wins this, and this is now the start of their legitimate feud between one another for like two years. Anyway, Gargano and Ciampa are just basically staring at one another this time, and Ciampa is not happy or pleased just to look at Gargano. And so you could tell that they kind of want people to reminisce and let people know, hey, yo, remember the history between these two? Anything can happen. Now it's time for the main event. Johnny Gargano and Dexter Loomis to go against the North American champion, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams. Carmelo and Trick win the match by pinfall when Dexter had Carmelo in the silencer and the referee was distracted by Johnny Gargano. Trick took off his boot and smacked it across the back of the head of Dexter. Dexter lets go of the hold. That lets go of the hold. Then Johnny Gargano runs through the ropes, hit Trick Williams with a suicide dive. Carmelo goes to the top rope. His leg drop off the top rope onto the back of Dexter Loomis' head and pins him for the win. And that's the end of NXT. Let me just say this right now. I can tell where we're headed with this. We're really going to go with a new school versus old school. They started off with the segment of NXT with Mandy Rose saying that this is the new NXT. This isn't Io Shirai's NXT anymore. Basically, new school versus old school. You end it with Johnny Gargano, Dexter Loomis going against Carmelo and Trick. And before that, you had Carmelo coming out here saying he's the leader of the new school towards the NXT champion, Tommaso Ciampa, who is from the old school NXT. We're leading down the lines of NXT new school versus old school. It's coming. I don't know when. But it's coming, and I can't wait to see. It. I can't wait to see these all these new crop of talent go against all these old crop of talent from NXT. But the problem is, how much old crop is still in NXT? You know the faithfuls, <clears throat> Kyle O'Reilly, uh, Pete Dunne, Gargano, Ciampa. I'm probably missing somebody, but those are like the four main guys right there. I can't remember anybody else's like of the old school that's still there are the main, like, top guys. Even when it comes down to the women. Only people you guys like, EO, Ember, that's it. Everybody else is basically new. So, I don't know how we're going to do this new school versus old school thing. Whether if they get some old school, like, wrestlers that used to wrestle in NXT and bring them back for this event, that'll be cool. That'll be fine and dead. But, we shall see whenever that happens or if that happens. That's just what I'm thinking was basically going to happen. But anyway, that was your highlights from the NXT uh, episode of this week. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite, and let me just start off right now. AEW started off with a match between Kenny Omega and, in his corner, Michael Nakazawa going against Alan Angels. And as Kenny Omega was making his entrance down the ramp, Excalibur uh, was on commentary, and he mentioned how AEW was with uh, John Moxley as he's not here tonight 
as AEW wished John Moxley all the well in whatever he's doing at the moment. And what AEW was meaning by that is that earlier in the week, um, Tuesday before AEW uh, show happened, uh, there was a call, not call, but there was a tweet from Tony Khan, and he said that he got the approval from John Moxley himself. And Tony Khan mentioned to uh, his Twitter followers and basically the whole professional wrestling world, because when Tony tweets something, it's gonna uh, pierce the wrestling uh, industry. John Moxley was entering himself into an um, in in house or inpatient uh, alcoholic uh, rehabilitation program. So what that means is John Moxley basically entered rehab for alcohol, and um, Moxley had to basically step away. He realized that he needed help and he went to go get it and um i'm glad that happened because you know what a lot of times in wrestling and a lot of time in sports and a lot of time even in life we all go through something and um we don't think that we need help we think that we can just constantly go and uh take care of that situation but that's not ever the case we need help from time to time but I'm not going to be able to say it as best as somebody else because there's a person on this AEW roster who basically is able to say it much more clear and convoyant than I have than I am right now. And I'll play that audio whenever it's time for me to get to him. But um, I just want to throw that out there right now. So what that means is that with Moxley being away from the professional wrestling ring right now and he was in the World Championship uh, Eliminated Tournament and he was set to go against Orange Cassidy in the main event of AEW Dynamite, his spot was open, and we find out that Miro is taking his spot. So Miro will be going against Orange Cassidy in the World Title Eliminated Tournament, and then the winner of that match will be going against Brian Danielson at full gear, and that happens in the main event of this uh, episode of AEW Dynamite. But I will get to that when it's time for the main event. Anyway, getting back to the first match of the night, AEW World Champion Kenny Omega with Michael Nakazawa in his corner going against Allen Angels. This is a rematch from a, a match that happened 18 months ago, basically when the pandemic started happening last year, and they had to uh, tape in Atlanta, Georgia, and this was Allen Angel's like, um, match to basically get him signed with AEW when he had with Kenny Omega, and this is basically them running it back 18 months later. Kenny Omega gets the win by pinfall in this match. He was able to hit uh, Angel's with two V-triggers, and they covered him for the win. Again, this match was straight. I have no problems with it. It was started off... Hot, Allen Angels tried to uh, do a lot of moves to Kenny Omega, and he even got, was close to pinning Kenny Omega winning, but Kenny was able to kick out, and Kenny just did what Kenny does best. He was able to pull out great performances out of people, and uh, I can see if Allen Angels has got bulky up and more muscle mass, they can turn him into a mid-card to an upper-card guy and have him constantly have these matches with Kenny Omega whenever Kenny does drop the AEW world title. I can see that down the line in the future. Anyway. After the match, however, Kenny Omega gets on the mic and he tells Allen Angels that he ruined his life 18 months ago, referring back to the match that he had with Allen Angels 18 months ago. Kenny mentions how he is the god of professional wrestling and he can giveth and he can also taketh away. So Kenny tells Michael Nakazawa to give him a steel chair. Nat gives him that. And Kenny Omega was looking to hit Allen Angels with the one-winged angel on the steel chair, but before he can do that, Adam Page's music hits, and Adam Page comes down to make the save. When Adam Page gets on the ring apron, Kenny Omega now has the chair in his hands, and he's about to swing it at Adam, but Allen Angels was able to grab the chair from Omega, and now when this happens, 
This allows Hangman Page the opportunity to hit the buckshot lariat. And as he's in momentum, does the whole flip, and he's springing off to clothesline Kenny in the face, Kenny ducks out of the way, and he leaves the ring. When Kenny does this, he happens to leave his AEW World Championship in the middle of the ring, and Hangman walks over to the championship and holds it. And now Hangman has a microphone in his hands, and he tells Kenny, I'm going to be a good guy here, and I'm going to lay the belt right here. He lays the belt down towards Kenny, and he tells Kenny, hey, you can hold on to that, because in 10 more days, I'm going to take it off of you. So this is basically just to hype up their match at full gear. After this, we get an ominous video from Malachi Black, and he talks about how Tony Khan uh, banned him from ringside in the Andrade going against Cody Rose match later on in the night. And Black talks about how in the assassination of Julius Caesar, it wasn't just Marcus that betrayed him. That was very ominous. And I didn't know much about Julius Caesar. I know he got um, like tricked and betrayed by his loyal subject. So I can only think that's what he meant by this. And Julius Caesar in reference would be Cody Rhodes here. So somebody's supposed to be betraying him real soon. I don't know who it is. It could be Arn to join up with Tully because... I'll bring that up later because trust me, you're going to understand it when after I mean, mention Arn. It might be Arn or it might be Arn's son. I'm believing it's one of those two, but I'll get to that whenever that time comes later in the night. Out comes CM Punk, and now he comes out for his in-ring promo, and Punk comes out more serious than he has been throughout his whole time at AEW so far. And the fans are chanting CM Punk's name, and he's crouching down, and he says, I don't, that's not the name I want to hear tonight. There's one name in particular that I want you guys to chant out right now because he can't be here, and I would really appreciate it if you guys could. And the fans knew right on cue who Punk was talking about, and he started chanting Moxley. So the fans chanted Moxley, Moxley. And you could tell Punk was really serious, and he said, if I could just take a couple minutes of your time to really speak some real serious stuff to you guys, I would really appreciate it. And I'm going to let CM Punk's audio play right here to let you hear what he said about John Moxley. I know what it's like to go and go and think you have to be so tough and better than everybody else and wrap up injuries and be sick and show up to work and do all these things that get compounded and help other people and be super generous and eventually get to a point where you have to take yourself off the hamster wheel. And I've been criticized for it. I don't want anybody to criticize John Moxley because I am goddamn proud of him. And I'll say one last thing about it. If anybody here, anybody at home watching on television, if you're in a place where you think you need help, get it, ask for it, reach out. Text somebody, call somebody. There's nothing harder that you can do in the world, but there's nothing more courageous as well. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. Hell, there's been plenty of times in my life and career that I wish I asked for help. And as you heard from CM Punk, he was giving nothing but high praise to John Moxley for doing what was right for himself and taking a step back because, as I said before, and Punk said it so more eloquently and better than I did, um, in this life, we all figure that we all have to constantly go and keep going and going. And sometimes you think you can medicate yourself and just handle it. Sometimes you can't, and sometimes you have to ask for help. And Moxley is now getting the help that he needs from everybody from the My Two Cents podcast, from the Garrett family. Um, we are wishing John Moxley the best in his uh, getting himself together. And whenever he does come back to the ring, uh, we will all be watching and we will all be supporting him as he does what he does best, go into the ring and does uh, 
damage to his opponents. And let me just say this right now, just to just to go off that topic. You can tell Moxley, and thinking about it now, when you look back at his past matches, like the first two matches that he had getting back, like whenever he beat up Willa Uter, I mean, I don't know if it was him just like going through something in his own mind at that moment, even with personal and bringing it into the ring a little bit. And I'm not saying that he was being snug with either Wheeler Uter or uh, Dark Order number 10 Vance uh, last, not last, was it last week or two weeks ago? Either way. You can just tell that he was real motivated and he was real serious and he was less like really intense. So I don't know if personal life makes him professional life just made his character look more driven and just more focused. But whatever it is, you could tell he had a real mean streak. So whenever he comes back, I expect that mean streak to come back. But the mean streak of just now being uh, himself and sobered up and just getting back to what he does love best, being in the ring and actually just having fun. So again, uh, we are here just wishing um, him the best. Anyway, after Punk is done talking about Moxley, he then moves on to his next order of business, and he talks about the guy that he couldn't be here as well, Eddie Kingston. And he looks right into the camera, and he tells Kingston, since I couldn't, since you're not here, I couldn't tell you to your face. I got to do it like this. I'll see you on Friday if you have the balls, and I'll be looking for my apology for interrupting me in my interview last week. So Punk is basically making the challenge out for Kingston, and we all know where this is going. Kingston's going to look at Punk on Friday on Rampage and say, how dare you? And this is going to lead up to uh, Punk and Kingston having a match at full gear. That's where it's most, like, obviously going to end up at. Punk versus Kingston at full gear, I can see this happening, and personally, I love it. After this, we get a video playing of Miro, and Miro talks about how he cursed, forsake, and threatened God, and now God has now inserted him into the World Championship Eliminator Tournament. Miro says that this must be God's way of trying to say sorry to Miro, but Miro says whenever he wins this tournament and wins the championship, then, and only then, will he forgive God. I'm not sure how this thing plays into real life with Miro. I know Miro's probably a real, like, God-fearing man, and I'm not sure how they're getting him to play this, or this might be Miro's idea, but, yo, we're kind of... We're kind of dancing around that a little bit. I'd rather just be careful because things happen in mysterious ways. So I would like AEW to kind of pull back on the little God thing a little bit with Miro. You can still be the guy that's, the guy that's pissed off at God because everybody gets pissed off at God. But just saying that you have threatened, forsaken, and cursed, I would just pull back on that just a little bit, all right? After this, we get a backstage interview with Adam Cole and the Young Bucks. They mentioned how last week they lost in their match, and they said that was a fluke, and that will never happen again. They're talking about how they're going to remind people how dangerous they are, and as they're talking, Christian Cage walks up to Nick. And then Matt tells Christian that, hey, it's three of us and only one of you. Don't do anything stupid that you're going to regret later, all right? Luchasaurus then puts his arm on Matt's shoulder, and Matt says, hey, we're not here for a fight. We're going to go back to our offices. You guys can meet us there if you want to talk about something, whatever. As they start walking away, Adam Cole and Matt Jackson turn around and like start throwing hands with Christian and Luchasaurus. So now you got the super elite going against Christian and Luchasaurus. They start off in the backstage area, and then they start fighting out into the in front of the people now. And at one point, the super click are in full control. They beat up Christian Cage, and they beat up Luchasaurus, and now they're standing there just taunting and just embracing in their uh what they've done and then you see jungle boy just straight up run off the stage 
onto the super uh, super click, and now you got the super click down on the ground and Jungle Boy standing tall. And this is whenever the brawl continues to happen, and now you just got Jungle Boy included into the mix. Uh, they keep on fighting and fighting, but ultimately, the Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, and Christian Cage are in full uh, control of this, and Luchasaurus chokeslams Nick Jackson onto the back of Adam Cole. Jungle Boy then locks in the snare trap or the STF onto Adam Cole, and Adam Cole taps for a little bit, but he passes out. Then you see Christian walk from the backstage area onto the stage with two steel chairs. And we kind of know where he's going with this, but I did, I thought somebody would have stopped him. But they don't. Christian puts a chair under Adam's head. He lifts up the other chair and he nails Adam with the concerto. And you see Adam start twitching in his body. And Adam Cole does have a match with John Silver later down a week on Rampage, and I'm not sure if he's going to be able to compete in that because he just got whacked in the head by Christian. So we'll happen to see what happened on Rampage to see if that match is still on or not. But that was the end of this segment. After this, and now it's time for the AAA Tag Team Championship match between Samurai Del Sol, or formerly known as Kalisto in WWE, and his tag partner, Aerostar, going against the champions, FTR. FTR wins the match by pinfall when Samurai Del Sol is on uh, Cash Wheeler's shoulders and he rolls him up for a pin, but Cash is able to reverse that pin and pin him and he's holding on to uh, Del Sol's tights and he holds on to the bottom rope. Referee doesn't see this and he counts to three and that's how FTR retains their uh, tag team championships. This is a solid match. I have no problem with them portraying to be the greatest luchadors of all time. I have no problem with that. It's cool. Um, Aerostar got hurt in this match. You can kind of see where he like jumped on the outside to Dax Harwood, and I want to say his leg like clipped the guardrail. And when that happened, you could kind of see him like limping, and that kind of like made him slower throughout the rest of the match. So it hasn't been reported that he's like got hurt, hurt. So he probably got like. Like, um, um, what is it, sore or trying to probably like, tweak something in his foot, and he just got to re like relax on it, and he'll probably be all right. But again, solid tag team match. FTR knows how to put on a good tag team match. Again, they are one of the greatest tag teams, uh, throughout this generation, whether in WWE or AEW. You got to pay your respects to FTR. After this, a video plays of Tony Schiavone giving Sheeta her 50th uh winning match trophy last week. And they played on this week, but as this is happening, Nyla Rose walks up uh, with Vicky Guerrero onto Sheeta. And the main point of this is that Nyla Rose is supposed to be going against Sheeta in the TBS Championship Tournament. And Nyla talks about how it's going to be an easy win for her since Sheeta's leg is hurt. Since she got her leg beat up by uh, Serena last week in her match. So we'll just happen to see whenever that match happens if Nyla will be the winner of that. After this, we get an inner circle in ring promo and all members are in a circle or out into the ring and as they're talking america top team comes out with ethan page and scorpio sky the whole promo for this thing is that inner circle is supposed to pick members out of american top team to join the men of the year to go against the inner circle at full gear in a minneapolis street fight and long story short the people that they pick for american top team to join the men of the year are junior dos santos andre arlovsky and the big mouth himself, Dan Lambert. So it will be Dan's first in-ring, uh, yeah, in-ring matchup, and uh, I can't wait to see it. 
personally because Dan does have a big mouth. And if he at least gets a couple punches off on Jericho, because more than likely they're probably going to keep Dan Lambert with Jericho and let Jericho beat up on him, I would be happy seeing it. So I can't wait to see that. Also, in this promo, you had Paige Van Zandt get on the mic, and she said that she'll take on all five of members of Inner Circle all by herself. And once she said this, I knew Jericho was about to go to early 2000. Jericho with Stephanie era Jericho. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Chris Jericho and Stephanie McMahon. Google it or YouTube it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Jericho used to say some pretty foul things to Stephanie that would not pass in this day and age. Let me just say that right now. Um, and he even picks on it a little bit with Paige Van Zandt. He said, you want to take on all five of us right now? And the crowd even jokes at it, laughs at it, and Jericho says... That joke writes itself, huh? See, because Jericho knows exactly what he was going to say, but he doesn't say it. He just lets the fans just enjoy that little piece of nostalgia right there without going full Jericho 2000 era on him. Anyway, after this, we go to a backstage interview, and this time it's Tony Schiavone interviewing Leo Rush with Dante Martin and Lee Moriarty and Matt Seidel. The main point of this interview back here is that Matt Seidel is congratulating uh, Dante Martin on his win against him last week, and he tells him that he has no hard feelings against Dante for wanting to train with Leo Rush, and he talks about how he has a slew full of people that want to train with him, and then he introduces Lee Moriarty. So Matt Seidel eventually ends up throwing down the challenge to both uh, Dante and Leo Rush for a tag team match, and Leo Rush basically accepts. It doesn't get uh, told that we will see it on Rampage, so we'll probably get to see it probably later down the line, probably next week on Dynamite, if anything. But we shall see. But we do know a tag team match is scheduled to happen sometime soon. After this, now it's time for a TBS Championship Tournament match between Anna Jay and Jamie Hayter with Rebel and Britt Baker in her corner. Jamie Hayter wins the match by pinfall, and she advances to the, in the tournament. When Anna Jay had Jamie locked in the Queen Slayer, which is a sleeper hold, Rebel got on the ring apron and distracted the referee. Anna still has Jamie in the submission lock, and as Jamie is pushing Anna towards the ring ropes on the opposite end, Britt Breaker grabs Anna's foot. Anna lets go of the submission hold and looks down at Britt Breaker and asks her what is she doing, and behind uh, Anna Jay's head, Jamie hits her with a forearm to the back of the head and neck region. Anna drops down to her knees, and then when she gets up, Jamie Hayter runs towards her with a clothesline and pins her to win the match. I want to say one thing right here. If we're going to have Jamie Hayter win with a clothesline, I need that clothesline to be filthy. I mean, like, JBL-esque, nasty with it. I mean, I want her to throw that arm and straight up just clock a girl right in the chest. It doesn't have to be in the neck, head region. Just hit her right in the chest, and it'll be all right. And just make that clothesline look nasty, all right? After the match, Jamie and the rest of them get into the ring and they start beating up on Anna Jay. And this all continues to happen until Ty Conti comes down and runs down to the ring. Ty then gets into the ring and she starts handling all three women all by herself. She beats up on Anna, not Anna, she beats up on uh, Jamie Hayter. She beats up on Rebel, and she beats up on Britt Baker. She does all this until she can't no more, because remember, it's still three on one, and three always outbeat the one. And whenever they're beating down on Ty Conti, Britt Baker puts down her championship, and 
She has Jamie and Rebel hold up Ty in position so she can hit the curb stomp. But before she can do that, Thunder Rosa runs down to the ring and Britt Baker and Rebel both leave the ring. So it's now it's Jamie Hater going against Thunder Rosa. They throw in a couple hits here and there, but Thunder Rosa eventually hits Jamie with a drop kick and Jamie rolls out of the ring. And this is setting up for Thunder Rosa to go against Jamie Hayter in the TBS Championship Tournament next. So I can't wait for that because we know Britt Baker is going to be somewhere around the ring scoping it out to uh, help out Jamie and especially help out Jamie in her match against Thunder Rosa because Britt Baker doesn't like Thunder. So I can't wait for that one. That's the one I really want to see. Well, the one I want to come up next anyway. After this, we get MGF's in-ring promo time now. And um, he comes down to the ring, and he looks at Darby Allen, who's in the audience, but like in the topper deck of the audience, all by himself. And MGF goes on this whole monologue about how him and Darby are two of the most important pillars of the whole company and how they will be carrying AEW into the future. Uh, he talks about how at first he didn't understand how the fans would cheer someone like Darby and boo someone like him. MGF then realizes that he reminds the people of people in their lives that are successful, whether it be their bosses, their exes, um, just people that are successful. And he ultimately tells Darby that at full gear, Darby will be too focused on trying to destroy MGF that he won't beat him. But on the flip side, MGF will be looking to beat Darby Allen at full gear. And that's the reason why MGF will win at full gear. Darby gets up. He has a microphone in his hands. And he tells MGF that at full gear, he's going to have a solid wrestling match with MGF. He's not going to get upset. He's going to stay calm, cool, and collected. Because he's about to take all his anger out on MGF right now. And Darby Allen starts walking down the stairs. Uh, throughout the audience and MGF leaves the ring. He doesn't walk towards Darby. He starts walking up the ramp. As MGF walks up the ramp, he gets met by Sting and a group of guys all dressed in black, but with paper mache of Darby's like face on their face as they're walking down the ramp with Sting. MGF is starting to freak out and he starts walking down the ramp and he starts walking to the opposite side of the ring. And this is where Darby Allen is basically going to be waiting for MGF right there. And as Sting and his cronies of guys are walking down the ramp, you hear somebody yell out, uh, yell. And it's basically Sean Spears hitting one of the guys in the back with a chair. And now you got Sean Spears and Warlow going against Sting and the, uh, his crony of guys. Darby's down at the floor and he has a clear passageway to MGF. MGF and Darby are spouting off words. And MGF says, you want to fight me? All right, cool. He jumps over the barricade and he starts walking up to Darby and once they get towards each other, they start throwing hands. So now you got Darby and MGF fighting in the audience. Darby is trying to do his best, but MGF is able to get the upper hand. And then um, this all changes whenever MGF tries to throw Darby into the guardrails. But Darby reverses that and throws MGF into the guardrails. Darby then walks to the back and he has people part the seas. He has them basically move out of the way so we can have a clear passageway to one straight down and clothesline MGF over the guardrails. MGF does, well, Darby does this, and him and MGF both go over the guardrails. Darby gets up quickly. He's all filled up with adrenaline. He throws MGF back into the ring. 
He gets on the top turnbuckle and he's looking to hit MJF with the coffin drop, but MJF rolls out of the ring and he runs right back into the crowd and he's holding his nose. So this is basically just another way how they're getting you hyped up for the Darby Allen going against MJF match at full gear. And that's another one that you should be on the lookout for. Two young guys that are want to prove how they are the best of the best of the new crop of AEW has to offer. And uh, that should be a good one that definitely you shouldn't sleep on. Now after this, we get a match between Andrade and Cody Rhodes. Andrade comes out with his uh, handler while Cody comes out with Arn Anderson. Andrade wins the match by pinfall, but he gets some help in the process. When Cody uh, has Andrade on the outside of the ring and Cody goes to hit a uh, suicide dive through the second ropes, he does this, but he gets met by FTR in their AAA Tag Team Championships, meaning Cody gets hit by FTR in the AAA Tag Team Championships here. Once this happened, FTR then rolls back under the ring. Andrade picks up Cody and throws him into the ring and hits a devil lock DDT on Cody, covers him for the win. This is a straight match between uh, Cody and Andrade. I have no problem, no uh, quarries to say about this. It was a straight solid tag, not tag, but a straight solid like singles match between them. And I'm still wondering what FTR has to do with Andrade and vice versa. What does Andrade basically have to do with the pinnacle. I understand he paid them all, but I thought that was only a one-time deal. Apparently, Andrade is going to be like an associate like guy with the pinnacle. Anyway, after the match, FTR and Tully Blanchard get in the ring and they all hug Andrade. And then Andrade tells FTR to tell uh he tells FTR to lift Cody up and hold him up. They do this and Andrade hits a running big boot on Cody. And as Cody drops to the mat, FTR start getting their little licks on Cody and start beating up on him. Arn Anderson gets in the ring, and Tully Blanchard is looking at all this. Arn Anderson pulls Tully around. And he asks him, what are you doing out here? What are you and your boys doing? And now you got Tully and Arn basically going back and forth. Backstory, for people that don't know this, Tully and Arn Anderson used to be tag partners back in NWA, WCW days, and also a little bit in WWE era uh 1990 era and um wwe they were known as the brain busters there but anyway they have a long uh history with each other so arn is trying to figure out what's totally doing ftr you can see it on like cash's face telling arn don't do it don't do it so i can see this is playing up into the julius caesar part where uh malachi was talking about how marcus wasn't the only one that betrayed Julius. So I can see Art Anderson really teaming up with Cody, not teaming up with Cody, but teaming up with Tully to really create the unit that him and Tully had and really elevate and boost up FTR. But we'll say that for another day. Once this happens, you get Lucha Brothers running down and they start going at FTR and Lucha Brothers and FTR throw hands, but the Lucha Brothers get the best of the exchange and FTR starts running away. So this is, again, setting up for their match at Full Gear for the AEW Tag Team Championships. After this, we get a John Silver in-ring promo, and he talks about his upcoming match with Adam Cole on Rampage. And also, we still don't know if Adam Cole is going to be able to compete, because remember, he got hit earlier in the night with a concerto, and his body was twitching. So I don't know if they're going to call it off or not. We'll have to see when Rampage uh, happens. 
He talks about uh, trying to give Adam Cole some advice ever since he's gotten to AEW, but he hasn't taken any of his advice. And maybe, just maybe, if he did, he wouldn't have gotten hit with a concerto in the head by Christian earlier in the night. So you can tell John Silver really wants this match with Adam Cole. We just have to see if they will um, fill that out on Rampage. Now it's time for the main event. The semifinals match between Orange Cassidy and John Moxley's replacement, Miro, in the World Championship Eliminator Tournament. Brian Danielson is on commentary for this match, and both Miro and Cassidy come into this match with body parts uh, banged up and bandaged up. Miro with his right leg being bandaged, right thigh being bandaged up, and Orange Cassidy with his ribs being bandaged up. Long story short, Miro makes Orange Cassidy submit, so Miro is basically going to advance to the finals to face Brian Danielson at full gear. Miro makes Orange Cassidy tap out to the game over. After the match, Brian gets leaves the commentary team. He leaves the table. He goes to the ring. And once Brian enters the ring, he extends his hand out for Miro to shake his hand. But Miro just walks away from it. And that was the end of AEW Dynamite. And I'm saying this right now. I believe out of all the matches that's going to be on full gear, Right now, Brian Danielson has had a hot streak of having matches on AEW, which have been fire. Him and Kenny, fire. Him and uh, Dustin Rhodes, which I thought would have been not so great. I mean, that was utterly fire. Him and Eddie Kingston, fire. So him and Miro, and Miro can go, go, and I mean, like, he can go. Yeah, that's going to be, I believe, if anything, that's going to be, like, legit, maybe the match of the night at full gear. And that's going to, might even overtake the Kangman and Kenny Omega match for the world title. But we shall all see whenever that happens at full gear. And that happens next Saturday. But again, that was the end of AEW Dynamite. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling opens up with a fatal four-way match for the number one contender spot to see who would challenge Trey Miguel for the Exhibition Championship. The contestants in this match were Black Taurus, Steve Macklin, Rohit Raju, and Laredo Kid. Laredo Kid wins the match by pinfall, and he becomes the new number one contender for the X Division Championship. Laredo was able to hit a Mishinoku driver on Rohit Raju to get the win, and then after the match, Trey Miguel comes down to the ring and extends his hand out to Laredo Kid, and Laredo shakes his hand. When this happens, Steve Macklin comes into the ring and attacks both men. Macklin grabs Trey Miguel off the mat and tried to hit him with a mayhem for all, but Miguel was able to kick Macklin in the head, and Macklin lets go of Miguel. Laredo Kid then joins Miguel on beating down Steve Macklin. They throw him into the ropes, and then they hit a stereo drop, double drop kick on Macklin, and Macklin rolls out of the ring. And then again, they stare down one another after this, and then they sh continue to shake hands. They're just basically showing a good faith between Laredo Kid and Trey Miguel. They will have their X-Division uh, championship match at... Impact Wrestling's uh, next streaming pay-per-view event, which we call Turning Point, which will happen on November the 20th. And uh, I see that's going to be a good match. Laredo Kid is a good high flyer, and Trey Miguel can high fly himself, but Trey Miguel can also do some technical wrestling. I'm not sure if Laredo Kid is well-versed in technical wrestling, but with high flyer, makes with high flyer, that also going to do some technical work. It should be a good match. Uh, after this, we get a Madison Rain uh, backstage interview, and she's with Caleb. And the main point of this is that Madison's going against Mickey James later tonight for the Knockouts Championship. Madison has a opportunity to become the first ever six-time Knockouts Champion. And Madison does give a history lesson by saying that every time that she is challenged for the Knockouts Championship, 
she usually wins that match, so she expects nothing less tonight. After this, we get another backstage interview, but this time it's with Ace Austin and Madman Fulton. The main point of this interview was that Ace Austin is here to gloat about winning his match against Chris Saban last week. The same Chris Saban, who is a former Impact Wrestling Champion. Ace Austin even unveils his new shirt that he's wearing, and it says, I beat Chris Saban. Chris Saban has a match with Madman Fulton later on tonight, and Madman gets on the microphone and mentions how tonight he's going to pick away at Chris Saban tonight. After this, we go to the ring, and it's violent by design in the ring, but Deer and Joe Doring aren't in wrestling gear. Oh no, they're in street gear. The only person who's in wrestling gear is Eric Young, so this is Eric Young's first in-ring matchup since being injured mm, earlier this year. Eric Young mentions on the mic that Rhino made a choice last week, and he happened to make the bad choice. When you're violence by design, you are violence by design until you die. So they had to beat up Rhino last week to let people know that and to get their message across. Eric talks about how tonight he's going to build up a monument out of destruction, brick by brick. So tonight is the starting foundation of that monument. And his opponent comes out, and at the beginning, we don't know who this man is. Even D'Lo Brown and Matt Stryker, who's on commentary for Impact Wrestling tonight, are saying that they don't know who this man is. And the guy walks into the ring, and Eric Young starts conducting basically an interview with the kid. During this mock interview, Eric Young basically finds out that this kid's name is Jay Vidal, and this is his first time on television, and Eric Young mentions to Jay that I can feel the excitement coming off of you. And you know what that means? You have the sickness. And Eric Young tells him, don't worry about it. I can cure that sickness. And then he starts taking off his ring jacket, handing it to his, his Violent by Design members, and he tells the referee to ring the bell. The match begins. Eric Young destroys this boy. I'm not even going to try up front. This was a bonafide, glorified squash match if I've ever seen one in my life. And Eric Young basically powerbombs the kid and hits him with a pile driver. And that's the end of that. This is basically a reintroduction for anybody that forgot how Eric Young works in the ring. And Eric Young is basically showing you that I can do what I want to do to anybody in this ring when I want to. After this, we get a video playing of the inspiration walking into a hotel room because they were supposed to have a locker room talk with Madison Rain. When they went to the hotel room, they started shouting Madison's name out, but Madison isn't there. And the room lights change from a clear like light into a purplish pinkish color and they're starting to freak out and they want to leave this room and Casey walks over to the uh entrance room well entrance door that they came into the room with and on the opposite side of that door when she opens it up is Rosemary and Havoc Casey quickly shuts the door and returns back to the room so Jesse tries to leave the room the exact same way that Casey just came from Casey tell her that's not the way Jesse keeps on telling her, yeah, that's the way. Casey tells her, no, that's not the way. So Casey doesn't tell her that she just saw Rosemary and Havoc. And then, what do you know? Casey is looking at a painting, but then it flashes up to Rosemary and Havoc right there in that painting. Casey freaks out, and then you get Casey telling Jesse to look at the painting. When Jesse turns around to look at the painting, the painting is just a regular old painting. Jesse tells Casey, hey, it's okay. This is all in your head. So once they leave out the room, and then you see the camera turn back to the painting, and once the painting turns around, 
on the opposite side of that painting, it says Turning Point. So we get another match confirmed for Turning Point. It will be the inspiration putting up their knockouts tag team championships against Rosemary and Havoc in their rematch from Bound for Glory. After this, we get a tag team match between Finn Juice and the Good Brothers. And this is a solid tag team match, but it ends in a no contest. This happens when all four men are laid out on the ring because you had Finn, well, technically, Juice Robinson hitting Carl Anderson in the face with a knockout punch. Then you had Doc Gallows hitting a roundhouse kick on Juice Robinson in the head. And then you had David Finley go to the top turnbuckle and hit a crossbody on Doc Gallows. So now you have all four men laying down on the mat. Then you get Bullet Club, which consists of El Fantasma, Hikaleo, and Chris Bay coming down to the ring. And once they enter the ring, they start hitting everybody directly in their junk. I mean, they were like open referee in there, just like delivering nut shots. You get a nut shot. You get a nut shot. You get a nut shot. Even at one point, they start just lifting uh, certain members up and just straight up just kicking them directly in the nuts. Uh, they finish it off by Hikaleo grabbing the tag team titles from the outside of the ring, bringing them inside, and they pose with them for a little bit before they start putting them on people's junks and just start stomping on uh, people in the junk with the tag team titles. So, I mean, it, I mean, it's cool and all to see Bullet Club do like things that they usually would do in Japan whenever they first formed, like be these juvenile guys, but have this serious streak to them. I just would like for them to actually have a leader in there, basically Jay White come back to Impact Wrestling or some other leadership role because you just got three guys over there just roaming around in Impact Wrestling under the Bullet Club banner. And uh, that's not Bullet Club at its finest and fullest, so I need somebody from Bullet Club in Japan to uh, come back over to the States or if you're in the States, Jay White, Tangaloa, and uh, Tama Tonga, just take care of that. Uh, after this, we get Finn Juice in the backstage now, and they're upset because they were so close to beating the Good Brothers, but Bullet Club keeps on interfering. And as Finn Juice are talking to one another, Scott Demore walks up to them, and he tells them that, hey, I heard what you guys said, and you guys do raise some good points. So next week, it will be you guys going against the Bullet Club, and the winners of this will get a tag team title shot at the Good Brothers. And Scott does tell Finn Juice that there will be a winner next week. So more than likely, we're probably going to get a nose qualification or whatever type of like stipulation they want to add to this match. After this, now it's time for our Impact Wrestling Knockouts Championship match between Madison Rain with Caleb in her corner going against the champion Mickey James. Mickey James retains her championship by pinfall. This happens with Mickey James on the outside of the ring, and Caleb Conley is bad mouthing Mickey, and he was trying to slap Mickey because Mickey basically beat him up last week. So as Mickey's trying to get to her feet and she's standing next to the ring post, Caleb takes a swing, but Mickey ducks, and Caleb's hand hits the ring post. So now Caleb's hand is in agony, and he's yelling about it. Mickey then grabs that hand, twists it, and throws Caleb into the steel steps. Once Mickey gets on the ring apron, uh, Madison Rain rushes over to Mickey and runs directly into the middle ropes, and this allows Mickey to kick Madison in the gut, then go to the top turnbuckle and hit her with a jumping Thez press on Madison to get the win. After the match, as Mickey was being celebrated and celebrating her win, Mercedes Martinez starts walking down to the ring. Mercedes Martinez gets the mic, and she congratulates Mickey on her win of retaining her knockout championship. Mercedes quickly turns into business and tells Mickey 
that she's next in line to face Mickey for the Knockouts Championship, and that match will happen at Turning Point. Mercedes is letting Mickey know that she's doing this because she's cashing in that uh, Knockouts Tournament trophy that she won at Knockouts Knockdown uh, Special Event, and uh, that's the reason why this match is happening. After this, we go backstage, and the inspiration is looking for Kim and Brandy, the two undead brides, basically the little minions of Sue Young. The inspiration asks, uh, asks the undead brides, can they take on Rosemary Havoc on the inspiration's behalf next week on Impact Wrestling? Kim and Brandy look at one another, and they say, Mother's always looking for new souls. They laugh, and they just walk away. So... We probably got our match. It was, matter of fact, we don't probably, we do. So next week on Impact Wrestling, it will be Rosemary Havoc going against the Undead Brides, Kim and Brandy. After this, we get a backstage interview with Josh Alexander, Eddie Edwards, and Matt Cardona. The main point of this, these are the three men that have to go against Moose, Suzuki, and W. Morrissey in the main event of Impact tonight. And they're all trying to figure out, can they coexist with each other? with Josh Alexander being too focused on Moose because Moose took the World Championship from him at Bound for Glory, and he did that in front of his wife and kids, and Alexander is not happy about that. So Alexander's just focused on Moose, and Eddie Edwards has to calm Alexander down and tell him, hey, I know how you feel. Moose put his hands on my wife. He's been trying to break my neck. He used to be like a brother to me, but he's done all these horrible things. I know how you feel. And you need to get your emotions under control so we can take out Moose tonight. Cardona then breaks it up between those two and tells him, Hey, listen, we all want to get our hands on Moose, but we have to deal with Morrissey, Suzuki, and Moose tonight. And we need to get all that together. We need to be on the same page. Alexander just looks at them and he says, Tonight, we're all going to be on the same page. But whatever happens next after that, happens next. And that's the end of that backstage interview. So you're left with, are these three guys still going to be able to coexist? Cardona and Edwards already had to look like they're going to be on the same page. So the wild card is Josh Alexander. Is he going to try to divert from the game plan? After this, we get a one-on-one competition between Chris Saban going against Madman Fulton with Ace Austin in his corner. Chris Saban beats Madman Fulton by pinfall. When Chris Saban was looking to hit a swinging DDT, but he ends up turning that into an inside cradle on Madman Fulton and beating him for the win. So now Chris Saban is one up on Ace Austin and Madman Fulton, but technically is one and one because Ace beat Chris Saban last week, while Saban beat Madman Fulton this week and he had Ace Austin in his corner. After this, is now it's time for the main event of Impact Wrestling, the six-man tag team match. The Impact World Champion Moose, Minoru Suzuki, and W. Morrissey going against Eddie Edwards, Josh Alexander, and Matt Cardona. W. Morrissey, Suzuki, and Moose do win the match by pinfall. When Morrissey was able to hit Eddie Edwards with a big boot and then hit him with a powerbomb for the win. This was a uh, great main event because you had storylines like intertwining with each other in this. You had Eddie Edwards, Matt Cardona, and Josh Alexander all wanting to get their hands on Moose, but you had Suzuki really wanting to get his hands on Alexander, and Moose would give Suzuki every opportunity that he can to give Alexander directly to Suzuki. And Morrissey, he was just here just to beat up on people because he knows that he's the next person in line because he 
remembers what Moose told him last week, that if he helps him, he's the next person in line. So Morrissey's just trying to uh, best benefit himself. So we'll have to see how that all uh, plays out next week on Impact Wrestling. Will Morrissey try to cash in uh, that opportunity on Moose at Turning Point? Or will he try to tell Moose about that... uh, that deal that he made with him last week, and Moose will probably have to tell him, uh, dude, you didn't take him out, or will Moose try to finagle his way out of this? I don't know. Moose is going to be Moose, but we'll have to see when that time comes. But anyway, that was your Impact Wrestling highlights of the week. Now it's time for Friday Night SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with the Bloodline for their in-ring promo. Roman mentions how he wasn't here last week because he was on vacation celebrating smashing Brock Lesnar at Crown Jewel. Roman mentions how last week Roman was the reason why Brock was suspended and fined a million dollars. Roman says that he has the stroke and he can make that kind of stuff happen. Roman then asks Paul Heyman, what happened last week while I was gone? At first, Paul thought that he was talking about Paul speaking to Kayla about um, Brock Lesnar and Paul was trying to cover his tail. But Roman said, Paul, what happened last week while I was gone? Paul says, oh, so you're talking about that. Okay. And he tells and says, well, the Usos had a match last week against the New Day, but the SmackDown Tag Team Championships wasn't on the line because we would never do that. We would never defend those championships without getting the seal of approval from you, my tribal chief. Roman asks him again, what happened? Paul says, the Usos lost to the New Day last week. Roman then asks, okay, which one of you took the loss? Who got pinned? And you see the Usos just pointing at one another like children getting axed by their parent who broke the vase or who broke something. So you got Jimmy pointing at Jay and Jay pointing at Jimmy. Roman looks at Jay and Jay says, hey, man, he took the pin. You know better. You know better than to come up to me and ask me that. I know not to lose. Roman walks up to Jimmy and asks Jimmy straight up, what are we going to do to fix this? Jimmy gets the microphone and says he's going to kick the crown off of Xavier's head and make him acknowledge the head of the table, Roman Reigns. Then the New Day comes out and interrupts this, and they walk out onto the stage. King Woods and Kofi start making jokes, and the jokes are all focused around how King Woods is missing a table here, and how the king sits at the head of the table and talks about how the table is no longer needed at Woods' relevancy. Basically just throwing a whole lot of subliminal jabs at Roman Reigns. Xavier Woods then throws out the challenge that tonight it will be Jimmy Uso going against King Woods in combat. But if Woods happens to lose, he will acknowledge Roman Reigns as the head of the table. But if Jimmy loses, he will have to bend the knee to the king. Jimmy grabs the mic and says that nobody is bending the knee to you. Jay then gets the mic and says the bloodline runs this show and everybody acknowledges the bloodline. Roman has his hand out. And Jay looks at Roman's hand. Paul grabs the mic from Jay and puts it in Roman's hands. And Jay is kind of startled at Paul. And Paul's kind of just like yelling at Jay. When Roman has his hand out, you give him the mic. He has it in a position. You give it to him. Jay says, all right, I heard you. Roman gets the mic and he just straight up delivers this one line. and says, we accept. So later in the night in the main event, you will get Jimmy Uso versus Xavier Woods. Well, King Woods. And... 
The stipulation is as follows. If Jimmy loses, he will have to bend the knee to King Woods. And if King Woods lose, he will have to acknowledge Roman Reigns as the head of the table. After this, now it's time for our first match of the night. It is Naomi going against Shayna Baszler. Naomi happens to win the match by pinfall when Shayna has Naomi locked in the Coquina Clutch. But Baszler uh, happens to let Naomi slip from under her grips. And Naomi rolls up Baszler for the win. After the match, Sonya Deville comes out and tells the ref how he missed a mistake. Well, he made a mistake. How Naomi earlier in the match grabbed the ropes and she was supposed to let go by the count of five and she didn't. And the match was supposed to be thrown out. And since that didn't happen, the match is going to have to be restarted. So as soon as the bell rings for the match to restart, Shayna runs over to Naomi, locks her back into the Coquina Clutch. Naomi tries to put on a fight, but Naomi passes out in it, so Shayna Baszler wins the match by submission. After this, we get the bloodline back in the locker room, and Roman is just talking to himself. He's just talking really out loud. He's saying that he's only been away for one week, and everything's been going straight to hell. As a matter of fact, here's the audio from Roman freaking out right now. I take one week, one vacation, and it all falls apart. I take one vacation, and SmackDown sucks. It's almost as bad as Raw. <laughs> you think this funny? You think this a joke? No, was, I want no disrespect, nothing like that, bro. I'm you just... think I'm here to pop you? Jay, what don't we do? Don't lose, Zeus. And why don't we lose? Because we the ones. After this, Jay tells Roman, hey, we got this. And he gets Jimmy and they leave the Bloodline locker room. As you can tell, Roman is not happy and he wants the job to get done. After this, we go to a backstage interview with Ridge Holland. And the main point of this is that Ridge is happy to be on SmackDown, but he can't wait to meet his idol, his role model, Sheamus. He talks about how at one point when he was on a rugby team, him and his mates would go to a pub and watch Sheamus beat up people on television, and he just can't wait to meet Sheamus and cause some chaos and carnage on SmackDown as well. Then we go to another backstage interview, but this time's with Shotzi, and she basically explains why she did what she did last week. She mentioned how she's lost championship opportunities in the past. She's lost her tag team partner, and last week she lost the biggest match of her career thanks to Sasha Banks. She mentions how she will no longer act like everything is fine when it's not. So Sasha is now her main target right now as she's on SmackDown. Shotzi is basically turning over a new leaf. We're not going to see her with a tank anymore because she kind of says that she doesn't need to do this with a tank. So we're kind of getting Shotzi away from the tank and she's going to be more of the bad, bad girl the way they want to try to portray it. It's I'm going to see how they do it before I cast a whole lot of judgment. After this, now it's time for in-ring competition. It's time for a tag team match. Lotharios, well, Los Lotharios, is Andrew Garza and Humberto Carrillo. That's their tag team name. Going against the team of Cesaro and Mansoor. Los Lotharios do win the match by pinfall when um, Humberto super kicks Cesaro in the face. And this makes Cesaro bump into Mansoor. And Mansoor drops to the mat and then rolls out of the ring. Humberto then hits a springboard insiguri to Cesaro in the face. Humberto tags in Angel Garza, and then Humberto gets Cesaro in a uh, headlock, and then Angel Garza hits a dropkick to Cesaro's face for the win, and that dropkick was 
quite a whole lot of force to it. So don't think, oh my God, a drop kick to the face. No. When you look at the drop kick, he did it point blank, square in the face, to the nose. So you can get knocked out by that. So I can believe that as a tag team finish. But that's the way how Lotharios do win against Cesaro and Mansoor. After this, now we go backstage and it's Jeff Hardy and Aaliyah talking backstage. And Kayla walks up on Jeff and asks him for some time for an interview. Jeff, before he uh, does any interview with Kayla, he introduces Aaliyah to Kayla. Aaliyah is a new uh, wrestler that came from NXT. Now she's on the main roster. And Aaliyah walks away. And before Kayla can even ask Jeff a full question, Jeff Hardy walks away from Kayla. And he walks over to Aaliyah talking to Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn's trying to give Aaliyah some advice because Sami considers herself the elder statesman on SmackDown. And he tells Aaliyah to wear a pantsuit if she wants to show that she has some power. He just wants to throw that advice out to her. And he walks away. Aaliyah asks Jeff, is Sammy always this way? And Jeff says, yep. Welcome to SmackDown. So Jeff seems like the welcoming committee for anybody that's like new on SmackDown. He's going to be your guy you want to talk to. After this is in-ring competition now, and Drew McIntyre is in the ring, and he calls out for another uh, open challenge for anybody that wants to face him. Ricochet answers the challenge, and Ricochet goes down to the ring, gets the microphone, and he tells Drew that, hey, you need to be careful opening these open challenges because one day somebody's going to come down this ramp into this ring and slap you across the face. And Ricochet slaps Drew across the face, and this pisses off Drew. The ref rings a bell, and I'm not going to lie to you. Drew dominated majority of this match. This match, again, was another match to give Drew another win for his win column for whenever he eventually has to go against Roman. This is just basically building up Drew's uh, special power bar if we were in a video game. So, and I'm not going to try to slight Ricochet. Ricochet was able to get some good hits in. He was able to do his fancy dancy flips and, uh, he was able to hold his own for a little bit, but Drew did dominate the majority of this match. Drew does win the match by pinfall whenever uh, Drew does Claymore kick Ricochet in midair as Ricochet was trying to do a moonsault. And he hits the moonsault, but in midair, Drew comes around and Claymore kicks him square in the face. Ricochet drops to the mat and Drew covers him. In the middle of this match, as this match was happening, though, Mustafa Ali was backstage watching this match, and he gets interviewed. And the interviewer, Kayla, asks Mustafa, you are really interested in this match, aren't you? Mustafa says yes. And he says that he is really interested in Ricochet because him and Ricochet have a lot of things in common. So Mustafa is keeping his eyes on this match. Well, when it did happen. After this, we get the New Day backstage, and they're talking to Kayla now. New Day makes it knowing that Jimmy Uso will bend the knee to King Woods, and he tell Kayla to spread the word that tonight's match will be fair and just. And at the end of the day, Jimmy will bend the knee to King Woods. After this, we see Mustafa Ali walk up to Ricochet in the locker room, and he asks Ricochet to team up with him next week. Ricochet declines the offer. Ali asks why. Ricochet replies that you're a whiner, not a winner. And the last partner that you had, you treated like dirt. Ricochet then tells Ali before he walks away that he's a jerk. And as Ricochet is walking away, Ali just says that you're going to be sorry and you're going to regret that. So it's telling me that Ali's going to have a few of Ricochet. I have no problem with this. Give these two guys some screen time. Let them be fast paced and do everything that they need to do to basically entertain the people and let them have a match on television. I have no problem with this. 
After this, we get a Happy Talk segment with Happy Corbin and Mad Cat Moss. And this was utter garbage because their guest for this week was the Viking Raiders. Even the Viking Raiders said that, man, Happy Talk sucks. And ultimately, they start throwing blows with uh, Mad Cap and Happy Corbin. So this turns into a tag team match with the Viking Raiders going against both Corbin and Moss. And it goes uh, by ring out. So the Viking Raiders do win by count out because when uh, Mad Cap got powerbombed by Eric of the Viking Raiders and Ivar was going up to the top turnbuckle and he was looking at a splash on Moss who's laid out in the ring. Corbin pulls Moss out of the ring and they stay on the outside of the ring all the way up to the count of 10. And once the referee hits 10, they start walking to the back. So the Viking Raiders do win the match by count out. After this, we get Hit Row walking backstage. And he's there stopped by Sami Zayn. Sami tells him that a couple weeks ago, when they were they were making their interest, they were a little bit flat. And then he just ultimately said, no, you guys just sucked. So Ashanti wanted to pop Sami right on the spot, but Top Dollar and Swerve had to hold him back. And Top Dollar says to Sami, why don't you show us how to make a proper entrance? Sami says, I can do that. Walk out with me and take notes. So now we get Sami Zayn making his entrance out there. And Sami's music is aight, but Sami just start banging his head out and thrashing out like he's in a early 2000s like rave club scene, if you see the way that Sami was moving in his entrance. And as soon as Sami gets done with the entrance, he introduces Hit Row. Hit Row comes out. They tell Sami that they that he can't coach uh, Hit Row on anything they're doing. They also say that Sammy sucks, and the crowd starts chanting, Sammy sucks. Sammy says, I didn't ask for none of this. I am just trying to give you guys help. And then he tries to leave one way, Swerve blocks that way. He tries to leave the other way, Ashanti blocks the other way. Top Dollar's in the middle, and Top Dollar opens up the middle way for Sammy to walk through. Now, as you know, what might happen when you let the big guy open up the opening way for you, you think you're going to get jumped. So Sammy feels this way, and he just looks at them as he's walking by. And even when he gets by them, he turns around and he starts walking backwards, keeping his eyes locked on Hit Row to make sure Hit Row isn't going to try to attack him. They don't, and they just uh, party up and just stay right there in the entrance ramp. This is leading up to something. Sami Zayn's more than likely going to have to get some group of guys to take on Hit Row. Because right now, Sami just taking on three guys by himself, that's not going to work. The other two that he might like team up with, I have no idea at all right now. Because I don't know who's on that roster right now that might want to team up with Sami Zayn for this. I don't know, but Sami's got to find somebody. Um, after this, we get the bloodline back in the locker room. And Jay is pumping up. Jimmy and getting them ready for his match next with King Woods. Jay leaves the locker room and Jimmy is about to follow behind him. And he looks at Roman and sitting in the chair and then he asks Roman, aren't you going to come out? Roman tells Jimmy, how many times do I have to fix your mistakes? Jimmy looks at Roman and shakes his head like, I understand that. And he walks out and he leaves the locker room. Now we're about to get to the main event. Jimmy Uso with Jay Uso in his corner going against King Woods. With Kofi Kingston in his corner, and the stipulation is as followed. If Jay, if Jimmy wins, King Woods has to acknowledge Roman Reigns. If King Woods wins, Jimmy Uso has to bend the knee to King Woods. And King Woods does win the match by pinfall when Jimmy thumbed 
Woods in the eye, and the referee didn't see this. Jimmy rolled up Woods, and as the referee was making the count, Jay puts his foot on Jimmy to put more pressure onto Woods to make sure Woods wouldn't try to break out of the pin. And as the referee was counting, he sees the foot, and then he walks over and he sees it. So he's stopping his count. He kicks Jay's leg, and he tells him to let Jay to get out of the ring. And when this is happening, this distraction allows Woods to roll up Jimmy for his win, for his pinfall, well, roll up, and get the win off of this. So King Woods gets the win by distraction, but he still gets the win. After the match, Jimmy's trying to leave the ring, but the referee holds Jimmy back and tells him, no, you got to pay your debt. You got to bend the knee to King Woods. Woods is over here with his crown and his scepter, and he's telling Jimmy to bend the knee. Jimmy is stalling, and he's trying not to bend the knee, but as he's getting himself into position to bend the knee, Roman slides into the ring to the opposite side where King Woods and Kofi doesn't see him, and Roman Superman punches Woods in the face. Once this happens, the Usos jump on Kofi, and now you get the bloodline beating down the New Day. The Usos push Kofi into a corner, and they're just starting to beat up on him, putting their feet in punches to him. Roman is bad-mouthing Kofi as this is happening, and then Woods gets up, spins Roman around, starts throwing hands with Roman. Woods was able to get some couple hits off, but Roman was able to overpower him and lay him out. Roman then is in another corner, opposite side of the Usos, and he yells to the Usos to throw Kofi to him. They do that, and Roman spears Kofi in the middle of the ring. Jay then picks up Kofi and holds him in position so Jimmy can kick Kofi in the back of his knee so then Jay can lock in the tequila sunrise and then Jimmy can go up to the top turnbuckle and hit a splash on Kofi's other leg. While this is all happening, Roman Reigns walks over to Xavier Woods and holds his head up so he can see what the Usos are doing to Kofi. And you just hear Woods just yell out Kofi's name. And after the damage has all been done, Roman tells Woods that if he's man enough to show up next week on SmackDown, he will show him what a real king looks like. And that's how SmackDown ends with the bloodline standing on top of the New Day. And I thought about this last week and I forgot to mention this to you guys. I planned out and I spaced out enough time for how we can get to Roman Reigns going against Drew McIntyre at WrestleMania, basically to fill up Roman's calendar until Mania. I had for, since we know Survivor Series is champion versus champion, we're going to get Roman going as a biggie. That's going to happen. I said at December's pay-per-view, whatever it is, we're going to have Roman Reigns going against Kofi Kingston. And then at the Royal Rumble, if you get where I'm going here, King Woods go against Roman Reigns. You get it? King Woods, Royal Rumble, it all ties in. And then I have for the next pay-per-view after that, we get um, Roman Reigns going against Ricochet. And I picked Ricochet because I need I need Ricochet to have a good performance this upcoming year. Ricochet is that talented of an athlete, that talented of a professional wrestler, and WWE has completely squandered it off so many times. And with him being on SmackDown now, the land truly of opportunity, the land where you can truly actually get to showcase your professional wrestling skills off and people will appreciate it, you will get championship opportunities and opportunities that you don't get on Raw, which again is three hours. And with a three-hour show, you would think you would be able to at least get more opportunities because there's more time for professional wrestling. But I digress. 
Xavier will be going against Roman at Royal Rumble. Ricochet will go against Roman the next pay-per-view, and I do that, and I set it up like this. Ricochet will have a good showing in the Royal Rumble. Usually, if you have an incredible showing in the Royal Rumble, the fans will start loving on you much more, and it will start getting your ball going much more faster. You think I'm lying? Look at it last year. Nobody had Drew McIntyre pinged, technically, to win the Royal Rumble until he eliminated Brock Lesnar and his eyes locked onto Brock and then once that happened we knew okay he's going to win the Royal Rumble and he's going to face Brock Lesnar at the Wrestlemania we all knew it after he eliminated Brock Lesnar but before then nobody could peg Drew McIntyre to win that because Drew was doing nothing at the time before Royal Rumble came around same thing in Ricochet's point right now Ricochet's doing nothing and if Ricochet has a good showing at the Royal Rumble he can elevate himself and go off into main event status. So, I need Ricochet to have a good showing at Royal Rumble, and then we can give him the opportunity to face Roman Reigns. And Roman Reigns is good with anybody, especially in high uh, championship situations. Put Ricochet in that spot the same way that you did with Cesaro earlier in the year, and Cesaro and Roman had a great barn burner match earlier in the year on the pay-per-view. You give Ricochet that exact same opportunity next year around after Royal Rumble time. We know Ricochet is not winning because you're building up for Roman to go against Drew at Mania. This is exactly the main plan, what they're going for right now. I'm just putting building blocks for WWE to take and just use it because you guys desperately need it. I'm just going to be blunt with you. I see you're going down the path already of Woods and Kofi. I'm telling you, Kofi needs a face. Roman at December, and Woods need to face Roman at Royal Rumble. It makes sense, especially with the gimmick they Woods get. And I'm just throwing you an extra bone, the guy that needs to face Roman, because he is incredible in the ring, Ricochet after that. And then after Ricochet, you can completely start doing the building blocks for uh, Roman to go against Drew McIntyre. Because everybody will know that Drew's next in line because Drew have, will be already built up a ton of credit. And ta-da, he's next. But anyway, that was my idea for that, and I hope they take that. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. The first match happens to be Brian Danielson going against Anthony Bowens with Max Caster in his corner. Brian Danielson wins the match by pinfall, and he does this whenever Brian grabs Bowens' arms and stomps Bowens right in the chest, and then turns that into a bell lock and makes Anthony Bowens tap out. This was just another match for Brian Danson to uh, add to his filler until his match with Miro next Saturday at Full Gear. After this, we get a video from uh, last Wednesday's Dynamite episode, which happened... Well, it was an interview with Tony Schiavone uh, interviewing Andrade, FTR, and MJF after Dynamite went off. And the whole main point is, is that uh, F, if FTR and MJF, well, basically the Pinnacle, have a business dealing with Andrade. And MJF asks for his payment. Andrade tells his handler to give him the money. His handler gives MJF an envelope, and MJF says that's not enough. So Andrade taps his handler again, and his handler hands MJF another envelope. So now MJF has two envelopes in his hands. MJF says, thank you, por favor, and then walks away. Dax mentions how he didn't see Pac out there uh, to help out his buddies 
So he calls Pack a female dog. And um, he says that if Pack thinks he can do something about that, I'll be waiting on Dynamite and we'll see about it. And it gets announced later on Rampage that on Dynamite, it will be Dax Harwood going against Pack. After this, we get CM Punk going down to the ring and CM Punk gets straight to business. He calls Eddie Kingston down to the ring. Eddie Kingston's music hits, but Eddie doesn't walk down. And his music cuts off and Punk mentions out, okay, maybe I should make Eddie more comfortable. Maybe I should talk more and then maybe Eddie will come out and interrupt me because that's his way that Eddie seems to be comfortable with interrupting people and being rude. And as soon as Punk says all this, Kingston walks out and he goes directly to the ring. I mean, Kingston is walking with purpose. Kingston grabs a microphone and as soon as he gets in the ring, Kingston gets straight to business. And this is exactly what Kingston had to say. I will apologize. You know what, man? You're right. You're right. I want to apologize that I was at home sick thinking I had COVID. Had to get tested twice so I wouldn't come here to God forbid get my friend Monkey sick and then he gets his kid sick. But you know what? That doesn't matter because I need to apologize because you know what, guys? You didn't get the great CM Punk for its Orange Cassidy. I'm sorry. And for you, this is the world's smallest violin. And he's playing for you on the last. Eddie just starts unloading on Punk about all the issues that he had with Punk from whenever he first started into the wrestling industry, basically till now. He talks about whenever he first started, he used to look up to guys like Punk, Samoa Joe, Homicide, Amazing Red. And he would mention how he would see Punk judging him. And he asked him, why would you judge me? Because I was overweight? Because I like to eat a lot? Because I wasn't friendly enough with the bookers? What, did I not politic backstage? I was just being me. And you were just being you. And I hate you. Punk says, you mentioned a lot of guys that you looked up to, and you need to look at them as well, because you're blaming all that stuff upon me, which in reality, it wasn't just me looking down upon you and judging you. It was those exact same guys that you named off that were looking at you, because we looked at you at a high potential. We saw potential in you, and we held you at such a high bar because we saw what you could become. But now, I don't see none of that. And perfectly to be frank with you, you're a bum. Eddie Kingston is visibly upset. My man started getting red in the face. He started taking off his beanie, takes off his necklace, and he straight up said, would a bum have main evented full gear? Would a bum almost have to sell his house during the pandemic but still wrestle out here? And would a bum be in the only wrestling company in the world? And he said, before he said that, he said, that's a shot. And he was shooting at WWE because WWE is entertainment. Remember, World Wrestling Entertainment, while AEW is all elite wrestling. Eddie then throws out the challenge to Punk to fight him at full gear. Punk says, you know what? Full gear is too high for you, Eddie. Why not elevation or dark? Elevation and dark or AEW's like wrestling programs on YouTube that you can watch on YouTube at any time. And therefore, like the... Uh, C and D level wrestlers majority of the time. Yeah, sure, you might get an FTR or you might get a Warlow or even an Adam Cole and even some of the main eventers from time to time. But majority of the time, it's like for the C's and uh, high level D wrestlers that AEW have just for them to get more experience. 
Punk laughs. Not Punk, but Eddie laughs. And he just starts getting all of Punk's face now. And he starts calling Punk a coward. And he starts walking close up to Punk's face. And he says, fight me. Fight me. And he says this over and over again. Punk puts his hand on Eddie's chest. Punk, Eddie says, don't you touch me. Punk then agrees to fight Eddie at full gear. And as Punk was about to leave the ring, Eddie tells Punk, uh-uh, before you leave the ring, let me know. You, let me tell you something. I don't care about winning or losing at full gear. I just want to hurt you. Eddie then says, once the match is over, why don't you leave wrestling again for another seven years? Punk then headbutts Kingston, and now you got a brawl between the two guys. They start brawling in the ring, and then it takes a bunch of referees, a couple of backstage personnel, and a couple of low-level wrestlers to separate both Kingston and Punk. So this is telling you that it's supposed to be a blood feud, especially with one more week leading up to full gear. After this, we get Tony Schiavone backstage with Jurassic Express and Christian Cage. The main point of this, they throw out a challenge to the Super Click to a match of full gear and a false count anywhere match. After this, now we get a TBS Championship Tournament match between The Bunny versus Red Velvet. Red Velvet wins the match by pinfall when Red Velvet hits The Bunny with the final slice. And it's basically an overdrive. It was MVP's old WWE move finisher, and it's still MVP's finisher right now. And he she covers her for the win. So Red Velvet advances in the tournament, so she has to face Jay Cargill next in the tournament. And also, during this match, Jay Cargill and her representative, Mark Sterling, were in the front row of the audience watching this match. Now it's time for the main event of AEW Rampage. is Adam Cole with the Young Bucks going against John Silver. Adam Cole wins the match by pinfall. Adam was able to do this whenever he catches uh, John Silver running towards him as he's in the corner. And he super kicks Silver in the face. And then he silver kick, then he super kicks John Silver in the back of the head. John Silver then drops to his knees, and Cole delivers the boom, which is basically the running knee uh, strike to the back of Silver's head. It covers him for the win. This was a solid match. I give it. Uh, Adam Cole was a lot generous in this match, to be honest with you. He allowed John uh, Silver to do a lot more things that I personally don't think that a credible star like. Adam Cole should be allowing Silver to do technically because when you look at the spectrum between Silver and Cole in AEW's rankings, Silver is not on Cole's level like that. But it's no indictment to John Silver. I'm just saying when you look at the power dynamic and the spectrum, John Silver, you're not, you're not, you're not there, bro. Anyway, it was a good solid match. I can't hate on it. So that was your AEW Rampage highlights. And before I get you guys out of here. Let me just uh, tell you guys yet again, WWE has yet again made some uh, cuts. They start releasing people Thursday, and um, the names that got released were Keith Lee, Frankie Monet, Ember Moon, Karrion Cross, Scarlett Bordeaux, Grand Metalik, Nia Jax, Harry Smith, Mia Yim, Eva Marie, B-Fab, Oni Lorcan, and... Lindsay Dorado. Now, the people that were shocked, that I was personally shocked to hear that got released out of this cut were Keith Lee, Karrion Cross, um, and basically B-Fab. To be honest with you, those were the ones I was shocked by because Keith Lee, big, tremendous upside. There's no way how you can screw Keith Lee up. Well, 
WWE was able to find a way how to screw Keith Lee up. Let's just be honest and call a spade a spade. They screwed up Karrion Cross on his debut, and they screwed him up ever since. And B-Fab, she just got on the main roster with her homies, the Hit Row, literally, what, a couple of weeks ago? But they literally just made their debut, what, two weeks ago? And they were on television last week with King Woods. And now she's got released. I mean, this is the dumbest thing. I, uh. And another one that shocked me was Nia Jax. I thought Nia was going to be a WWE lifer because she is related to the <laughs> biggest actor right now, The Rock. She's related to him. She's related to Roman Reigns, who is the biggest character in the star on SmackDown and the biggest star in WWE, and she was related to the Usos. So I thought she was going to be in that WWE system, in that bubble, until she decides to retire. There was no reason for her to go to AEW. There was no reason for her to go anywhere else. WWE was just going to be the home of homes for Nia Jax, but that's not the case. Um, I mean, those are the ones that I got shocked by. So, again, it was Keith Lee, uh, Karrion Cross, Nia Jax, and B-Fab were the ones that I was really got shocked. Everybody else, I'm not too shocked by it. I'm really not. If I really were to think about it and really were to really put in perception, I'm not shocked by it, but I am disheartened by it. But it doesn't mean that they ain't going to be able to find somewhere to land on their feet, especially with the wrestling bubble being as big as it is now, more bigger than it was mad years later. Especially with like Frankie Monet. She can go to Impact, go back to Impact. And Impact has this opening deal with AEW. She could easily just pop in on AEW uh, Dynamite or Rampage anytime. Especially since this TBS uh, championship tournament has basically started. So this is another tournament championship that they can be vying for, that she can fight for. Ember Moon, AEW should try to grab her as quick as they can, or Impact should try to grab her as quick as she can. Either way, She's a phenomenal wrestler. Uh, Scarlett Bordeaux, wherever she goes, you're going to see Karrion Cross. That's easy for you to understand. And same thing with Keith Lee and Mia Yim, because they're in a relationship, they're engaged to be married. So if you're going to see Mia Yim somewhere, you're going to see Keith Lee somewhere as well, too. Uh, Metalik and Lindsay Dorado, I see them teaming up. As a matter of fact, I see them teaming up with their homeboy, Samurai de Soul, formerly known as Kalisto, as he was just on AEW and he was in the tag team. Uh, Triple A Championship match against FTR this week. I can see Samurai Del Sol, Grand Metalik, and Lince Dorado, all three of them teaming up yet again to reform Lucha House Party, but under a different name because WWE probably trademarked that. And um, they can just go out there and do a whole lot of Luchador stuff. So that was the uh, people that got released. I don't know what WWE's doing. They keep on saying budget cuts. There was a port. There was a report coming out. That um certain people in this roster cut uh got cut because they were unvaccinated. This makes me go back to it again. You're in a closed area, WWE. You're in a closed area. You guys are traveling around places. You guys are gonna have to get tested each week, every day. That's just what it is, because you're in an arena full of people that you don't know if they're uh vaccinated or not. Let's just call a spade a spade. So, with you guys performing in those spaces, you guys need to get COVID tested every day. So, getting the vaccine, yeah, cool. It's fine and dandy, but that's not going to stop you if COVID going to grab you. Because we've seen uh, COVID grab people with the vaccine all time and matter, especially in this time that we're in.
But again, hey, I will give you guys more information when I find out about it. But that was your wrestling highlights of the week. Let me give you my social media so we can get you guys out of here. On Twitter, you can find me at, at My2Podcast. On Instagram, My2SensePodcastG2. And if you want to email me about anything, and I mean anything, whether it be depression, suicidal thoughts, uh, just want to say congratulations to anybody that wants to get help, and also you have seeking help, like Moxley's gotten, or you're trying to find help, congratulations, because that's the first step in trying to be a better you. Um, my email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com. And also, you can find me on Wisdom. I'm going to be on it probably Monday. I haven't been on it this week, none this week. I'm going to be on it Monday, and I'm going to talk about privilege. And um, you can check me out tomorrow on my Sunday episode where I'm going to be talking about things that happened in the news this week, especially the two trials that started this week of the Kyle Rittenhouse and also the Amar Arbery trial. But if not, check me out on Wiz, Wisdom and check me out next week on uh, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. While I'll also be giving you my AEW Fallout uh, Full Gear predictions. But with that, this has been my Two Cents Podcast, Wrestling Highlights of the Week, hosted by G2. He is I, I am him. And with that, I bid you adieu. Farewell, ta-ta. This isn't goodbye. This is until you hear from the sweet uh, voice again. And with that, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired, you tired, uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.